Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. This podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes. If you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title, please tune out now, go watch the movie, or, like us, stop at the intermission, watch the movie, and resume the podcast after. This episode also contains spoilers for The Exorcist 3. Thanks for coming along on this ride with us. Please enjoy. There's a sense of um, a pleasure to know that you've gotten to that place. The audience is bubbling. Something has been released in a way that scared the, the, the bejesus out of them. Our repeated visits to the horror picture were certain laws that happened to apply to all horror pictures. He doesn't tell you everything, but now you're getting a sense of where this conspiracy lies. The innocent must suffer. It's very much about sort of the ride, the scares. I never watched the film with that in mind. If there's a good scare and it's working, they'll shriek. They'll shriek their heads off it in unison. No one had seen anything like this. We came to realize there was a second law governing all horror pictures, and that was the guilty must be punished. But the people who needed to see it hadn't seen it yet. Just make it as bad for the characters as possible. The, the continuous sort of escalation of just getting worse and worse and worse. We found there was a third law and that is that you must taste blood to be a man. And he had no character. He was blank. He was simply evil. The fourth law exists, that the dead must walk. But we're still, uh, we're still testing that law in our research labs to see if it holds true in all cases. You could call him Mr. Halloween. We journey into the mind of a master of horror. Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm joined today by Patrick. Hi. Hi. Patrick is the co-host of our other podcast, The All Downhill Show. I will have a link for that in the show notes. And Patrick has been kind enough to join me here in the throes of spooky season (laughs) to join me on a very spooky episode. So I guess to kick it off, I want to ask you a question generally about films to see where your head's at or actually this one's not really that way uh i want to know what was the last movie you saw in theaters and what did you think of it the last movie i saw in theaters the last movie i saw in theaters was probably alien oh did you go see a uh a re-release yeah oh that was when they were doing the re-releases wasn't it i think that's the last thing i saw if that was before i saw color out of space which i if, if that was after, I mean, which I think it was. Otherwise, the last thing I saw in theaters was Color Out of Space, I think. I basically never go to theaters, so that's a... <laughs> like, when you asked it, I'm like, oh, the last movie I saw, that's easy. That was uh, the, the new Magnificent Seven. And then, uh, then you're like, in theaters. Oh. Oh. But yeah, it was either the Color Out of Space or the Alien, uh, re-release of Alien. And I don't remember which, just because I don't remember the order that happened in as for what i thought of it if it was alien it was great to see it theatrically like it's one thing you know i'm not old enough to have seen it properly in theaters but it's one thing to like watch the movie i don't think this is true for all movies i think there's some movies that don't not that any are really hurt by a theatrical viewing but there are some that don't get that much extra out of it you know Mm -hmm. um i think 
Alien sort of does. While it's not quite the summer blockbuster format, it's pretty close in a lot of ways. And it's even in a large room like a theater, just the darkness and stuff really helps add to the sort of oppressive atmosphere of it. So if it was Alien, it was it was really fun to see it in theaters and kind of get that experience that you otherwise wouldn't get. Uh, if it had been The Color Out of Space, which again, it could have been, also loved it. Uh, saw that at a very small theater, though. Kind of a, not quite an art house theater, but a, a much smaller theater. Wasn't it the one over um, over by uh, UC's campus? Uh, the Esquire. The yeah. Esquire, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That one was pretty incredible they had some podcasters at the showing i was at doing i I wish i remembered their show um if i can find what it was i'll send it to you if you want to put a note oh yeah if you find it i'll plug them i think i think local and they do like a horror films podcast or it might just be a films podcast i don't remember and they they were friendly and a lot of fun but i i you know i wasn't there for the i didn't even know they were going to be there when we went uh when we got the tickets but they, they were friendly they were fun they had kind of a neat atmosphere they had a lot of giveaways of like they had buttons and copies of like uh, Mandy on Blu-ray and that kind of thing, like some kind of cool. stuff to pump stuff up. And so that, that, it was fun having them there. They did a little trivia, which was the only embarrassing thing was, I think that was it. It was a film podcast, not a horror film podcast. And the only reason I want to say that is because they did really poorly on the horror film trivia. Some of it was the stuff where you're like, really though? Like that's not even hard. You know what I mean? Some of it was like really for doing a film podcast, the kind of things where you're like, of three of you, one of you should have known this. But um but but they were they were you know very personable. But the movie itself was I mean Color Out of Space is fabulous. Like if you want a really good, it's one of it's probably it's one of if not the best H.P. Lovecraft adaptations I've ever seen. It's Nicolas Cage at some of his wildest and craziest, and you know he's great when he really wants to be. When he's unhinged, yeah. he is phenomenal. And it, and it's that perfect line for him. If he plays a character that is both serious at sometimes and unhinged at others, but not like. Uh, there's not like a jarring just you know thing there uh, when it changes it's over the course of it there's things that make him be unhinged and um, he, he really plays the the gambit well pretty much everybody in it plays it really well uh, Tommy Chong's frankly really funny and really oh, good in it um, I haven't seen it but I know that I knew that Tommy Chong was in it and I forgot until you mentioned it so if you watch it the general embra- the thing that, that we're really the one of the highest compliments I can give it. If you go watch The Island of Dr. Moreau with Val Kilmer and uh, Marlon Brando, uh, and really, if you want to watch that movie, you shouldn't even watch it. You should watch the documentary about the making of it. Um, but while during the making of that movie, there was a bunch of fighting, and essentially Richard Stanley, I can't remember if he got sacked or he quit or what the deal was, but he you know, got off of the project and then disappeared like for a long time, like didn't make anything, kind of... I think he wandered in the jungles for a bit or some nonsense. Like, he was kind of gone. So there was this sort of enigmatic thing in the movie world of, like, The Island of Dr. Moreau was horrible. It's a terrible movie. And they're like, but what would it have been if Stanley got to do his thing? Like, if he got to finish directing it and edit it and all the stuff he was supposed to do. You know, like the Snyder Cut kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of people who are of the belief that, oh, it would have been great. And generally, when someone says that about a movie, I entirely disbelieve it. I'm like, that's idiotic wishful thinking and if it would have been great then it should have been great anyway you know to some degree not perfectly so but to some it's one of those like there no things would have been more different in the first place and um uh having now seen the color out of space i i'm sold on that one though i am am sold that if richard stanley had been able to finish the own of dr moreau the way he wanted and theoretically if he'd been able to fire marlon brando it would have been probably one of the most incredible like surreal horror films ever made 
Uh, because Color Out of Space absolutely is. And it's a really hard... It's hard to do a movie where the plot of the movie is there's a color no one's ever seen before. Because uh, the only previous adaptation I'd seen in the movie was, I think, German. And the whole movie's in black and white, except the color, which is purple. And that's their way of like making it... Obviously, it's ethereal and, and otherworldly if the movie's black and white. Because it's hard to otherwise display a color to the audience. You know what I mean? That That they can't they've never seen yeah because they'll have seen anything you can put on the screen that would have even um, been like bigger dick energy if they didn't even put a color in there if they made it black and white and then it was still black and white <laughs> well it, it worked it was a really interesting way of doing it but in stanley's he still made the color purple and i think that's because in the story i want to say the color is in the original lovecraft story i think the color is purplish because isn't but, it supposed uh, to be if i remember right and it's been a while since i've read this story isn't it described as like and a visible ultraviolet. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like so, it's on the ultraviolets. Yeah, it's it's so, above. So violet he does still go with spectrum. purple, but by kind of like how in the Sixth Sense, if you rewatch it, it's amazing how Shyamalan went through the work to ensure that there's only red in scenes where there's ghosts. Um, spoiler alert. Sorry, but if you if you that's not really a spoiler anyway, because now you, if you look for it, it'll give away the ending. But by now you know the ending of The Sixth Sense. I think I think most people do. I was going to say, um, I'm not even going to put a spoiler warning right. for The Sixth Sense on this, because at this point, you should everyone know. yeah. knows. But, it, but yeah, if you watch the movie, if you don't know the twist, then just don't pay attention to the color red in it. But if you, but yeah, during the movie, the, the color red only shows up in scenes where there's ghosts. I don't even think it's ever brought up in the movie at all, even after the twist. But it's something Shyamalan intentionally did to add this kind of visual interest. That if there's no ghosts in the scene, there's nothing red in the scene. It's really hard to maintain that kind of thing, and very few directors do it. While this isn't as extreme, Stanley is really good at keeping... There is no thing in the movie that is as vibrant as the purple from space at any point. So you, when it shows up, it really does feel like... Uh, plus, it's super gory and just crazy, and it's... More palatable, I would say, to a larger audience than, say, Mandy or even Mom and Dad was in terms of more other recent Nicolas Cage's crazy films. But mm -hmm. it is still it is still wild and over the top. And it's just anyway, the, the this episode isn't about that. But you should. But the color of space is incredible. So I'll stop now. It's, but it's incredible. It's it definitely incredible. on my yeah. list of movies to see. Uh, it was worth seeing in theaters because it was one that I was glad I got to see. Uh, with the people I saw it with and with a big group of people. And it was kind of fun to have the hype over it because... I think it's the first one I've ever seen, too, that was like... Alien's the first movie I've ever seen in theaters that was a re-release to a real theater. I've seen, like, ones shown in auditoriums to film classes, which is close. But Alien's the first, I think, re-release I went to a real theater to see. Color Out of Space is the first, like, small release film I've ever seen in theaters. So that was also kind of... It was neat to be at a theater that was doing a... I mean, it was... There were still a couple hundred people there, but this was not a uh, this was not given a wide release. Uh, it almost was touring in the sense that like it was in theaters for a really long time, but in very few theaters at a time, you know. So it was cool to be at that kind of an event. I've never seen a small film like that in theaters, other than like, I think again I've seen a, a local <laughs> horror film do a do a thing at like uh, in a town hall. But like this is the first mm -hmm. in a real theater seeing an indie one, so that was also neat. Yeah, well, that, that's that's good because in in our area we're we're a big enough town that we do get we have a lot of a fair amount of cinemas, and they do yeah. a lot of them do do like small release movies that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise see. That's how I saw In the Earth, um, because like only two of the cinemas in the area had it, and I finally got to see it on like the last day it was showing. But sure, 
the we're lucky in that we live in a big enough town that we do get those occasionally but also in a small of enough metropolitan area that is not known for the stuff that like it's not crowded when you go to see these because oh, it's sure. not drawing yeah. as many yeah. people. Yeah. So we're, we're right in that sweet spot of, yeah, we get most things. It, it is, it's it's I, a pain it in the ass really to go cool. find. Yeah, it is. I, I think we do live in a good area for that. But I, even so, I like I said, I'm guilty of the fact that I'm, I've never been a... I shouldn't say that. Not since high school have I been much of a theater goer. I, I just, I don't go to the theaters very often. I don't, um, for the most part, I'd rather watch a movie at home. Uh, and I think part of that is... My wife, Gina, and I don't like a lot of the same... We, we like a lot of the same kind of movies, but, like, enough to go see in theaters, the things she'll want to go to theaters to see aren't always the ones I'll want to go to theaters to see. So there's... It's like, I'll, go, I'll usually... I'm more likely to go to theaters to see a movie with her. Like, I think before those two, the last few movies I'd seen in the theaters had been ones she wanted to see. Like, uh, I saw the last two of the new Star Wars trilogy, the third trilogy, I guess, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that was because she wanted to see them. I, 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 I don't... You know, they're not really my thing, but I, I don't have a problem going for her. It's not like theater's not like an airplane. It is not to me anathema. I won't not go. I just often am like, oh, do you want to go to the movie? It's like if I'm picking something I want to do, I'm not going to go. I'm going to the movies. I'm going to, there's yeah. a million other things I'd rather do. But, um, because I'd rather just, if I'm going to watch a movie, watch it at home. Realistically, ideally, uh, on a laptop, sitting on my chest. Uh, in bed, so as soon as the movie's over, I can close the laptop and fall right asleep. Uh, and then you get that darkness and that theater aspect and all that. Um, that is the ideal place to watch a movie, is in a one-person theater composed of your own bed sheets. Nice. Anyone who says otherwise is insane. The luxury or loungers. on your own couch with no clothes on. That's also true. <laughs> depending on when you go and who's in the theater, like you could, in theory, be in a luxury lounger naked, and no one would know. AMC absolutely has a policy. You know it. <laughs> yes. Um, but. Cinemark, but. questionable. AMC, there's a policy. Yeah. The Danbury Dollar Savers encourages it. But I'm just saying. That's true. Um, That's true. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and read you the summary for the yeah, spooky yeah. movie that we're going to be talking about uh, for this spooky season. And then we'll get into some trivia. As you mentioned earlier, uh, other podcasts do trivia. We do trivia. I'm going to see if I can stump you okay. with this. So, a grossly overweight yet good-hearted professor creates a special chemical to make himself thin, but the formula may have disastrous and propulsive consequences. It's the exorcist. I am a... First of all, this is... You are getting further and further away. But second, I think it... Are you at the point where... Are you picking synopsises from other movies? Because I'm certain that's a movie. Yeah, it's The Nutty Professor. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. The... <laughs> okay, that, yeah, that figures. Uh, you know it, what, it I don't think... I think the only reason I didn't think of The Nutty Professor is in my head. I'm like, that's a horror movie. You've described a horror movie. But that's only because I'm thinking horror movies because of the spook season. Otherwise, I probably would have gone, oh, no, that's a... It's a screwball comedy you're going... No, the only about. reason I went with that was because I was trying to think of like, and again, I always try to do it based on the title alone. So I'm not necessarily, it's hard to like, oh, oh make up Exorcist, a funky thing with like the Exorcist. Exercising. So that, that and also there? inexorably linked in my mind, if you've ever seen Eddie Murphy's The Nutty Professor, I've that version. I've only seen the original. Okay. I've seen both. Okay. Uh, I honestly think the Eddie Murphy version is superior, but... Not by a lot. Like it's, it depends on what you're what you're there for, right? I'm there for the flubber. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but 
basically, if you are watching it, and in the trailer, inexorably linked in my mind is the scene where basically they are, he's like transforming back and forth in front of people on a stage. And then his dad, who is also played by Eddie Murphy, is like, somebody better call the exorcist. Like, and it's that in my mind, I'm like, ah, that's, that's the thing. That's what I'm going to do here. So that's why okay, I did okay, okay. this for The Exorcist. So, disclaimer, I had for the longest time thought I'd seen this movie, and it was not until very, very recently that I realized I didn't. I know that you've seen this movie. The Exorcist is one of your favorites. I, I've probably seen it two or three dozen times, yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's great, because... I, I want that sort of backdrop of you just completely yelling at me for everything. I, no, the only thing I, I just, I'm not even angry. I'm just deeply amused by the fact that, so I knew this coming into this episode, even though you, the listener at home, probably didn't, that what he's referring to here is the fact that he's seen The Exorcist 3 and thought it was the first movie. So in my mind, right, I'm going to explain this, right? I've seen the scene where it's like, ah, oh, yes, projectile vomit everywhere, yada, yada, yada. Sure. And then I've seen the entire <laughs> entirety of Exorcist 3, which is literally just called, um, I believe it's, what is it, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist? No, it's it's called The Exorcist Or just The Part Exorcist. 3. Well, okay. The, okay, the words, if you're looking at the box art. The words part three are very are inside tiny. Inside the O. Inside the O. Yes. So you could be forgiven for thinking they were a decoration if you need glasses. I just didn't think about it. I didn't read it. I'm like, oh, it's The Exorcist. But it had George C. Scott. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is when I'm thinking back about it. I, I thought in my mind, I never made the connection to but where George it's like C. Scott's not <laughs> George C. Scott's not in the first Exorcist. That's not actually true. He is. is He's he... just a very minor character. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, I guess he... Well, okay, but he's not the main character. He's not the main priest. That's, um... Correct. What's That's, his face? Uh, um, oh, God. Uh, I know the name now, but I, I'm blanking on it. Because I am the worst with names. But basically, uh, he's not the main priest. He's not the main... You know, he's not one of the main priests. He is sort of a side character. But in my mind, I thought, I've seen the, the scene everyone talks about. I've seen enough clips of it. And then I've seen this whole movie. So I, I thought... Uh, Max von Sydow. That's Max von Sydow. Thank yes. you. So I thought, I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie, and it was pretty good. Like, it was okay. Like, it was great. And I rewatched uh, not too long ago, or at least I was downloading uh, in, in preparation for these episodes, I was downloading and finding copies of The Exorcist. And for whatever other reason, Exorcist 2 and Exorcist 3, in case I wanted to watch them. And I was looking at, wait a minute, this is the same box art, The Exorcist 3, of the movie that I've seen. So I started watching it, Hey, and C I thought George also George C. Scott's not in The Exorcist. I his I believe it's the same character as. Oh, that uh, makes sense uh, <laughs> because I know his characters in both yes. movies. Um, okay, yeah, that's okay, continue. Um, sorry, no, that's perfectly fine. So I literally was just like, ah, this movie I've seen. I saw The Exorcist three and not The Exorcist. Haha. <laughs> anyway, that's my story about how Mike is a dumbass and doesn't realize what movie he's seen. Although, granted, this was years ago and my cousins and I watched it together so I saw the box for a very limited amount of time and they're like oh you want to watch The Exorcist and I think it was like oh okay or or it's like hey you want to watch one of The Exorcists or whatever like it was something like that so anyway that is my story about how Mike is an idiot so 
Anyway, you've seen this movie dozens of times. I've yeah. seen this I, movie I've also not seen, once. I've also seen part three dozens of times. So that's that's part of why it's just so funny to me. Is I'm like, I, I get, I guess, especially have it having been a long time ago, I can see how maybe you wouldn't have noticed. But like, having seen both a bunch of times, the chance I couldn't confuse a scene from one to the no, other. No, and I, I couldn't think... confuse a scene with Father Damien Karras, who's in both movies in one from the other like he's you know same actor and everything in both um mm-hmm. uh not by the way if you haven't seen either not at all a spoiler don't like that he's in both don't worry yeah and i think <laughs> i think i really just gaslighted myself into, into thinking that i was into believing well, that i watched what, it i kind of get that because it's one of those like i mean you and i have both watched a pretty large amount of horror movies and i know while this particular era you know like the kind of pivotal one that established most of horror as we have it today is a large blind spot for you by your own admission. Yes. Um, and, uh, and one that part of this podcast is you trying to clear up the, uh, and I, but I know that sometimes you'll hear a movie from that era and you'll have heard about it enough and read about it enough and, you know, seen enough references to it that in your head, your thought is it's impossible that I haven't seen that. Yeah. Right, like I must have actually seen that movie. I couldn't have gotten this far and seen this many horror movies without seeing The Exorcist or but, whatever. But it may I did be. the the opposite thing, which was I saw the one that was much, I guess, much less known. Yeah, well, three's interesting um, because so I'm of the opinion that there is a, a sort of good bad thing for Exorcist movies, right? Uh, and it's basically the ex- an Exorcist movie will be great if William Peter Blatty is actually involved. So for The Exorcist, it's great. It's based on his book, pretty much full stop. Right. Mm-hmm. I think William Friedkin did. I think they did communicate during the making of it. I don't. Think I was believe like, there yeah. was some communication. So I, I want to yeah. say he might have even been like on set and stuff. But but it, so the, the point is there was some tightness there. The Exorcist Two is not based off of a book by him. Um, it is you know, a studio capitalization thing. I don't know if I've ever even finished it. I've seen parts of it, I think. And it was, it's whatever, who cares? The Exorcist three is directed, is directed in fact by William Peter Blatty based off of the book Legion, which is the sequel to the Exorcist. So it is good. Um, and it, I which it would have been much less confusing for me as a younger film goer to be, the um, or like Exorcist. Legion well, actually, yeah, because that does make a difference because it does say on it William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist Part Three, and the first one usually people just call it The Exorcist, but I think on some covers and stuff it did say William Peter, Peter Blatty's, Blatty's Exorcist. Exorcist, yes, so, yeah, because the book was I think a pretty decent success on its own. So there is Blatty's involvement tends to make an Exorcist movie better, which is why there is one more good Exorcist movie, which is. Uh, I don't remember which one. There's The Exorcist, the beginning, and it's like the prequel to The Exorcist or something. There's two of them, and they have very similar names, and they're both prequels to The Exorcist, and they were both filmed at almost the exact same time. Um, And they composed the fourth and fifth in some random order movies of the series. And basically what happened is, if I understand it correctly, uh, one of them is based off a book Blatty wrote, which is a prequel to The Exorcist. The other one is not based off a book. It's just a studio invention. Um, both of them started being made at the same time. I think the studios were somehow aware because they it was two different studios who had one had gotten the rights to the book, one had gotten the rights to sort of the movie series. But having the rights to the book basically lets you 
sort of ignore who has rights to the movie series to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like how Spider-Man shows up in Marvel movies, even though for a while Spider-Man movies had to be made by Sony. Yes. Um, but the uh, basically what ended up happening is the two directors and like the teams actually making the movies were not aware of this until like halfway through when they realized, I think both of them had hired Max von Sydow. And he was the one who was like, yeah, I can't be there that week because I'm filming the same movie. Um, And so the one that is based off the book is, uh, it's the weakest of the good exorcists, but it's a good exorcist. And the one it isn't is uh, pretty generic. I mean, if you're into generic trash, it's okay, but it's, it's pretty generic trash but anyway that's my that's my strong it's kind of like how the star trek fans have like the odd numbered movies are good or the even whichever it is uh mine is if Blatty's actually involved it'll be a good exorcist movie mm. plus three had a few other things going for it it still had karis in it uh it still had george c it had george c scott as a character who's in the first movie which i'm always a fan him. of george c scott and no matter uh, what and he's, he's got in. a major role in it and yes. it's got it's got brad duraf who's great in everything he's in frankly and, uh, I've never seen Brad Dorf in a bad role either. Yeah, and he's and he's terrifying. Or, in that. I've seen him in bad roles, um, but I've never seen him be bad in bad. It has a couple roles. surprisingly iconic jump scare moments, which is a weird thing to say, but it has them, uh, like the door thing. Oh yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, it won't make any sense. And then, but now he'll watch it and go every door. You'll be like, whoa, this door, this door. But and then it has um, the first, I think, ever appearance by Samuel L. Jackson in film is in The Exorcist Part Three. Is it really? I didn't notice. Uh, he, is, he must have been. He's an extra. Uh, there's a scene where somebody has a vision of heaven, uh, and he's walking through heaven, and there's a blind guy sitting on a bed in heaven. That's Samuel uh-huh. Jackson. Holy shit! I'm <laughs> gonna have to go back and rewatch that scene at least. <laughs> yeah. So there's your there's your Exorcist three trivia. Ask me questions about the first one. All right, one. <laughs> I'm going to. I was gonna say I'm gonna transition now into trivia for the first one. I'm gonna see if I can stump you here on this one. You probably know most of this, but we'll see what I can do. So question number one. Okay. After release of the film, Linda Blair was put under the protection of bodyguards for six months. Why? Was it A, she had several stalkers as a result of her role in the film? Was it B, she received a vague but potentially threatening letter from the Zodiac Killer? Or C, she received death threats from religious fanatics for glorifying Satan? So... I don't think it's B. I want to say the Zodiac Killer may have written a threatening letter to someone, to some celebrity at some point. That actually does sound vaguely familiar, but I, I but I think that might be just because you said it. It sounds right, and uh, and I don't think it would have been Linda Blair. She was too. She wasn't his target. She was too young. Um, the Zodiac Killer was not killing people. Was not killing kids. So that doesn't sound right. Which leaves the other two. The Stalkers also seems, I guess, weird, but potentially all the more reason to have body cards for so long because. I mean, Linda Blair was a kid. That said, this hasn't always been an interesting thing to me, is that a lot of people uh, have this weird idea that... Uh, the one thing I heard a lot growing up is that supposedly the Catholic Church had this whole thing against the exorcist, which is interesting because... I, I've read the books, by the way. And Bl- Blatty, who wrote the books, uh, is Catholic. Was. He's dead now, uh, fairly recently, actually. But um, And he it, didn't he consult a lot of actual exorcists? I think he did. And even if he hadn't, the books and actually to an extent the movie there's a lot of fanciful stuff in it right it is there's plenty of stuff that to just be very blunt uh and sort of a mild spoiler i guess in a sense there's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't happen during exorcisms you know because it's a horror movie and it's a horror book it's not you know what i mean it's not meant to be the exorcist is not a attempt to tell a true story Mm -hmm. right so it is on some level entertainment 
And so I, I think that's sort of, and I get why maybe people could take issue with that. But the point is, overall, there's a lot of the themes in it are very, very Catholic. And Blatty was not, Blatty was not like a, a half-assed Catholic. Blatty was the leader of a group of people trying to sue Georgetown University. One of the major Catholic and Jesuit colleges, not just in the U.S., but in the world, and was trying to sue them to have their pontifical status revoked for not being Catholic enough. Like, he was a guy who took his stuff seriously in that sense. I so, mean, he was um, leading the charge against Jesuit tricks. Yeah, so. Right? so I don't. So I think it is funny that a lot of people have this view that, like, the church was against it. But I do think some people did view it that way. Some of them because they hadn't seen it. And probably some because they had. And there's a couple scenes that we can talk about in the second half that are pretty astonishing, I guess, uh, from a religious stance. So, And because of those scenes, I'm going to make the guess. Between those scenes and the reaction from people who didn't see it at all, I'm guessing it's the third one. I'm guessing it's that there were religious uh, extremists who had threatened her. You are correct. Bingo. It, it was. It was fanatics um, who were concerned that they were glorifying Satan. Uh, I, I, which, again, I it's weird to me whenever you have these movies where it is like an exorcism movie. Because there are other movies where that's the main theme. Like, you are going and exorcising either demons or whatever else have you. It's usually relatively pro... Now, some of them can get a little in the weeds, right? Yeah. But on a whole, they're pretty well positive. It, generally, at least some religious figure is a good character. Yes, um, that, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so, Will, once you see it, assuming these people had... I'm guessing, again, some of these people probably didn't see it and were just angry at the general concept or whatever. They'd worked themselves into a frenzy of imaginings in it. Some of them probably had seen it, and if so, when you watch it, there are scenes where in the second half of this, you'll be like, oh, I get it now. Well, so this was 73, which was pretty well, if not the height, the beginning of the satanic panic. Oh, this is the, these, these, these go beyond. If it weren't for the overall message, I think you could make a strong argument for the exorcist being not be, it. You can't because of the message and the plot. But there are scenes in it that if you took out of context, you would be like, this is as blasphemous as the film is going to get. Yeah. Well, um, and the other what, thing, like, too, is that so... most of those scenes, because I've seen the original trailer for yeah, The Exorcist. Yeah. If I were to, if I was a person who was a religious fanatic, right? Uh -huh. You know, I'm religious, but I'm not a religious fanatic to the point of I go out and I like, uh, I don't know, like threaten children for glorifying Satan, right? Right. I stick, to, I, I stick to adults. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> you bully adults, not kids. Yeah. Teenagers, maybe. Yeah, Depends. as long as you're as long as you're reasonably sure they'll kill themselves over it. <laughs> Oof. Uh, <laughs> are we on the right show? Cover their tracks. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um. So basically, like I could see just from the trailer alone, because the trailer is all of a lot of those like shocking scenes, because a trailer is meant to get people interested, right? Yes. It's not really showing the. The sort of, ah, oh, yes, there is a wholesome protagonist. There is maybe, you know, potentially the idea of a good ending. It's They're showing a lot of shock because you they want to get people's butts in the seats, right? If you think, wow, you're in for a ride. <laughs> you're, okay, you're in for a ride. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's some truth to that, but less in this case than you think. Yeah, well, look, I... That's the, um, that's the job of a trailer, though, right? Yeah, most that trailers is the job are... of the trailer. I'm just saying, in the case of The Exorcist, I would honestly say you could make a legitimate argument that the trailer is a lot more positive than the movie itself. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, fa- fair point. I've never seen yeah, the movie before, a la the, tr- the the title of the it's a bit depressing. podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, um, and it might have been like, who knows? It could have been any number of recuts of trailers. Who knows? Oh, sure, I, I think it was sure. probably the theatrical release trailer, but at you never t- know. I would think at the time, yeah. Um, yeah. But I could see people being fanatical over at least the sensationalism that you throw yeah, into trailers. People, pe- yeah. Even without it, people get fanatical over what they heard or thought they heard that was in something. Oh yeah, because it's like, oh so. yeah, you, this you know the this this young kid is being you know, doesn't she use like the does she call somebody a cunt in this too? There is the the language alone at the time. I think almost got this in NC seventeen. That's what um, I thought. Yeah, yeah. it was a uh, yeah. She she uh, actually no, and to to bring the the beautiful world of swearing to your podcast, uh, her exact words are. Uh, I won't give the whole quote. It doesn't. It w- wouldn't make sense out of context anyway. But uh, the demon in Reagan is talking to her mother and <laughs> refers to Reagan as your cunting daughter. And I think it is one of the greatest lines in cinema history because cunt isn't a gerund. But there, in that moment, it is. It's a gerund. Um, <laughs> Where my gerunds at? <laughs> yeah, I, I deeply appreciate not uh, abnormal gerunds cool i i very much also do too it's it's fun so question number two jason miller and director william friedkin had major confrontations on the set after what was it a friedkin trashed miller's car multiple times to rattle the actor to ensure his performance on screen okay was it b Friedkin fired a gun directly next to Miller's ear to provoke a reaction. Or was it C, Friedkin physically assaulted Miller as they didn't have time to go to makeup for the day and wanted him to look beaten up? I honestly, I don't know this one, so I'm going to have to guess. I don't even know if I can make an educated guess because all three of these sound exactly like something Friedkin would do. Like, the stories you hear about Friedkin being kind of a very gung-ho director in the style of, like, say, John Woo. You know, like, you can just imagine, yeah, I could see him doing that. He's, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, here's a baby. Oh, and by the way, we're going to actually blow this building up behind yeah. you. <laughs> At least the baby was fake. Um, That's true. <laughs> um, but uh, the... Uh, uh, Friedkin's a method director. I'm going to go with the car. My only reasons are... I think it's the car or the assault. I think the gun is unlikely. The only reason I think the gun is unlikely is... I mean, I guess there's blanks and stuff. It just feels like that would be harder to do on a crowded set, frankly. Mm -hmm. As weird as it shouldn't be easy to beat somebody up. And then, honestly, I'm leaving the beating up out just because, again, I would think someone else may have gotten involved in the middle of that if that had happened. Like, if you start beating up your lead actor, that's generally bad form. Uh, I wouldn't put it past him... I just don't, I, I feel like the car is the most likely that he actually could do without someone noticing he was doing it and stopping him mid-act, right? Yeah. So let's go with the car. So you're saying he basically, get, like, essentially... Uh, smashed up yeah, his car smashed to, up his to car stress him out. To stress yeah. him out, cool. That is wrong. It is the gun. Really? Yes. And I tried to verify this. I couldn't. But okay. the rumors on set was that it was Friedkin's own, like, everyday carry gun, and it was not a blank. He just literally put it up to Jason Miller's, like, head and just fired it up into the air. Wow. 
All right. Yeah. That I can't substantiate it because that's like I looked a few different places. There's nowhere unless it's in like a book somewhere, and okay. I'm not. Okay. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, I am not going to go just buy a book to find that fact out. But that's that's fair. It's why I think the other reason the, the carry gun makes it make more sense because the other thing I kept thinking is I'm like I don't remember any guns in the movie. I don't know why they'd be on set anyway. But if yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah. Okay. I, give me give me a chance to redeem myself. Okay, you've give got a chance to redeem yourself here. So question number three. Uh huh. Who was given the part of Father Karras before ultimately landing with Jason Miller? Was oh. it A. Jack Nicholson? Was it B. Gene Hackman? Or was it C. Dustin Hoffman? I th- think it was. I don't know this for sure. I'm just judging by who makes sense. Of those three, I think Jack Nicholson makes probably the most sense. I'm kind of tossed up between him and Dustin Hoffman. I think Hackman would be... Not that it couldn't have been Hackman, and now since I'm ruling him out entirely, like with the gun, it probably is him, but I'm ruling him out only because I don't think he was young enough for the part. He would have been too... If it was him and Max von Sydow, I feel like it'd be way too close to the same age. So I'm, I'm going to say Nicholson because he and Miller have sort of similar ways of holding themselves. But I say that firmly feeling like I'm going to be wrong and it's going to have been Hoffman. But I'm still going to say Nicholson. You are correct. It was Jack Nicholson. Oh, awesome. Okay. It, was, it was Mr. Here's Jack. Uh, here's Johnny himself. Um, so that makes sense because they both... He the way Miller holds himself in the movie and the way Nicholson holds himself in a lot of things where kind of his head sits a little almost lower on his neck a little forward, um, like almost like a kind of a boxer stance. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Or a, I guess pugilistic and just some of their mannerisms. I of of the three, Nicholson seems the most where I'm like, okay, I could see why they would. I could see ways in which he's similar to who they did pick. I can also see why they wouldn't have gone with him ultimately. I'm assuming a decision on their part, not his. And if not, a great decision on his part to step down. Yeah, I couldn't find any information on why he did or not. It was just one of those things where, yeah, Jack Nicholson was getting around. That was kind of his, like, you know, up-and-coming era. I mean, realistically, it was kind of Dustin Hoffman, too. But Dustin Hoffman never really kind of got the traction that Nicholson did. Well, and Hoffman... But he did in a in a... I guess more of an art house setting. It's yeah, it's not as Hoffman a role. Uh, it's, it's not. not. I don't want to say Hoffman's too attractive for it. That's not the right word, and I don't want to be mean to Miller and Nicholson quite like that. But that is sort of what I'm thinking. He's not. He's visually Hoffman is more conventionally attractive than the other two. No, no, you're right. That's true. Dustin Hoffman is, and and I thought I'd trick you, trap you up a little bit more with the the Gene Hackman because Hackman what was in multiple um, Friedkin films. Of yes, the, of I, the just, era. I just, I just. But you're right. He was a little he's older. Too old for the role. Yeah. I don't think he was too old. I think he was young enough that they could have probably gotten away with it. He was definitely older than younger than Sidow. Yeah, but I think he'd look more honestly. He'd look too close to Sidow's age comparatively. Right. That's true. And more importantly, he looks because um, he always has that mustache. He would look way too much like uh, Detective Kinderman, who is that's George C. Scott's character in the third one. But in the first one, uh, he has a mustache, and he's not George C. Scott. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now now so, I'm actually because I've seen the stills with that character in it. And yes, that is okay. definitely not George C. Scott. Yeah, but uh, that but that is George C. Scott's character in the third one. Uh, that yes. guy, I think, has 
he doesn't look exactly like Hackman, but he has a very similar look to the kind of look Hackman has in a lot of things. Yeah, he's so got like that Hackman too vibe. Much, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 too much repetition. Yeah, because Hackman really does. He plays that like if I were to think of Gene Hackman in a role, I can't name one off the top of my head, but I can see what he looks like in every single role that he's in the I can French imagine. Connection, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. in the French Connection. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, it's true. Okay, well there but i'm just thinking like one other than that that i can think of at the top of my head but it's always his character in the french connection is what he looks like yeah yeah that's it's reasonable like... yeah <laughs> whereas dustin hoffman it's like oh there are times when you can't tell it's dustin hoffman because he is in like prosthetics or like he's he's made up to be really handsome and other times he's made up to be kind of dingy like hoffman has like this weird like sort of range of of faces. I suppose that's fair. And then, like, Nicholson is like, oh, yeah, that's Jack Nicholson. That's yeah, that guy. Yeah, but he doesn't yeah. look the same. He's not dressed the same. It's always that kind of crazy glint in his eye. Like, oh, Yeah, hmm. and, and the thing is, I, I, Nicholson's one of those ones where he's very typecast, clearly, by kind of his mannerisms and look, which is too bad because he can, when you see him in some things, you're like, oh, he really can actually play a lot of roles. Um, it's just physically... Not as much as he's got the acting chops. I think physically that's... he's narrowed down to a pretty specific set of. Well, and frankly, you know. that's kind of really I think when you typecast people, it is because they look a certain way. I mean, look at like Steve Buscemi; like he's kind of mostly typecast. That's not true. Steve Buscemi can be anything he wants to be. That he, is he true, be, but he's not. He always. can be Mister uh, Mister Pink, but he can also be a man working in his laboratory and asking. Does God too stay in heaven because he's afraid of his own creation? They're the same character, and you They're... know it. <laughs> what happened, Mister Pink, after Reservoir Dogs? Have you seen Spy Kids too? Yeah, <laughs> like literally, they're the same character. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of the the typecast thing there. I I don't know. So, what in general? I guess. Do you have any questions for me? I guess since you've seen The Exorcist, I no, I'm I'm just curious as to what you're. Gonna, I'm curious as to what you'll think about it. I think you will uh, be pleasantly surprised by a lot of it. The question I have for you is the one that you already. I guess I have one that you. One of the, I have two questions for you, and one of them you're already going to ask yourself and me, which is what do you think you're going to rate it? Um, but before you give that, I want to know: Do you have any? Do you have any preconceptions going into this? Are you worried there's anything that's going to taint your opinion? Because I know, like. Um, because I don't know order, I don't. But at some point, to, I'm going to give away some plot here, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, I know you're doing an episode on Halloween. Yes. Okay. That is, I'm going to release an episode about Halloween on Halloween. No. Okay. There you go. So this will be um, before it. And you've seen Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yes. But you haven't seen John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes, I've seen both so Rob Zombie's know, Halloween one and two, but not John Carpenter's. I know you're going to go into Halloween with preconceptions because you're a big fan of Rob Zombie's Halloween which Carpenter did not like yes um which and... is also funny because I generally like a lot of almost everything I've seen of Carpenter's I I think Carpenter's done exactly one bad movie and I don't talk about Ghosts from Mars uh... <laughs> I'm gonna revisit it because I remember enjoying the hell out of it. it so as I understand it apparently I am in a minority a lot of people seem to really enjoy it I think Maybe we've watched different movies because it is so bad. But whatever. Um, but I, so I know I know you do like Carpenter movies, but I know you like zombie movies a lot as well. And I know you really liked Rob Zombie's Halloween. You've already seen it. You're gonna have a lot of baggage going into Halloween. Um, I mean, a lot of baggage and it, major plot differences, characters who aren't there, plus things like okay, instead of Jamie Lee Curtis, because 
you, I don't know if you also have you seen the new new Halloweens? No, I haven't seen the new new okay, Halloweens so either. Instead of getting Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got a movie that's got um, Sherry Moon Zombie. Sherry Moon Zombie, but she actually she isn't even who I was thinking of. I was thinking of other unrelated characters. Uh, you've got uh, Machete. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've got uh, Danny Trejo. You've, yeah, you've got Worm Tongue. Uh, Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif. Uh, and you've got Caligula. Malcolm McDowell. Like you know, you have a different. You have definite preconceived preconceived notions going into Halloween that I think will make it hard for you to enjoy the original Halloween the same way. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, you, you have a Halloween you like. You're very likely to not like the original as much just because you have one you like. You saw it first. I don't think, obviously, you'll have quite the same thing here because you've seen the third one, which is pretty different in a lot of ways. That that said do you think you have any preconceived notions that are going to affect it that maybe i'm not thinking of so i don't really know because the the whole like exorcism genre of movies i've kind of mostly missed um i I can't really even name a lot of other ones off the top of my head where but like i've seen a lot of like ghost movies right okay as far as that goes, or at least a fair more more than I've seen exorcism, true exorcism movies. Okay, I know that I saw one exorcism movie, and it was starring, and I have to remember what it was called now, but it was starring. Dang on it, it's gonna drive me nuts now. Anthony uh, Hopkins. Yeah, or, it was Anthony Hopkins. The right. Yeah, the right. Okay. I've seen the right. That it's was. Say, it's that or Gary Oldman, and then I. Don't remember which one that is, but he's a Jewish exorcist in that one. I've right? not seen but, that okay. one. I know the one you're talking about, but I've seen the right. Okay. And that's probably really the only other true sort of exorcism movie. You didn't see uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose when that was making a big go around? You know what? I want to say I might have, actually, but I think I might have seen... Ooh, you know what? I might have seen that one, but that one was kind of... That's blurry in my mind. Okay. I might have seen that one. It, it was either that or another movie that was kind of like a... Maybe the remake of... What was it? Haunt... No, I'm I'm confusing that with Haunting in Connecticut, because that came out right at oh, the same time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think. So, no, 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 I did not see The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I did see The Haunting in, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. So, yeah, two okay. different, vastly different yeah, movies, yeah. but... Well, and, a lot, and I think Exorcism movies do kind of run the gambit, because, like, you could call the first Conjuring movie... Uh, well, all of, but really the first one, especially an exorcism movie, but it's not really. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Um, like, I've I've literally not seen any of the Conjuring movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, you should put those. I mean, oh, they they are okay. It, it's just just because you know Patrick Wilson. I love Patrick <laughs> Wilson. I mean, honestly, um, that's there's no reason for me to have missed these other than that they were kind of they kind of came out in that really bad sweet spot i guess of when i wasn't watching any movies oh, at all okay fair enough fair so enough. i think um, there was literally a stretch of probably four to five mm, three years we'll say three years solidly where i probably didn't watch a single movie because i just either didn't have time i was working weird hours like you know having kids for the first yeah, time yeah, yeah, I get all that it. sort of stuff and it just it um, just sort of that was in that sort of right around that period right that makes sense so okay. I missed all of those, and I, I have no excuse for it. I should go back and watch it. I will eventually. Um, but I kind of wanted to start maybe here with the, I guess, yeah, OG exorcism is... movie yeah. that everyone cites. I think that my biggest preconceived notion is going to be, because there is a lot of sort of crossover, but is with sort of those haunting movies, right? Where it's like, I'll maybe unfairly compare it to more ghost story movies or haunting movies, even though there's really... A lot of them don't have exorcisms. They don't have really resolutions necessarily. That's fair. Um, I guess like maybe like Drag Me to Hell even, kind of something like that, where there's really not an exorcism there. It's 
it's a different movie. I even I could even see like the Evil Dead, right? Where it's like there's not an exorcism of a per se, per se, yeah, yeah, right? Okay. I I would compare them maybe unfairly to that. That might be the only preconceived notion. The only other thing that I would say too is that because I have seen The Exorcist three and I do really like Brad Dorf and I really do like George C. Scott. I think I'm going to maybe unfairly maybe like it less. But but then again, because it I, is a sequel, I think I, it's going to be I don't think enough. it will bother you as much because it is radically different in terms of plot and structure enough that Yeah. Yeah, because the I mean um, the third I mean that one, The Exorcist Three, is realistically, for the most part, it's a it's a procedural. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a vastly different movie, I feel, but it again in my mind i gaslighted myself into saying yes this is an exorcism right, movie no, it's an this, exorcist this movie. one yeah the first one it's an exorcism it's movie. the exorcist movie yeah like so i think um, yeah the right i i liked i don't really quite remember a lot of it off the top of my head i just remember i liked anthony hopkins in it i thought he was good he was solid it was a creepy movie okay i didn't wow me enough to go back and just be like i want to watch more exorcism movies that's fair i i don't know if i'll be honest i don't feel like the exorcist will make you feel that way either whether or not it wows you it doesn't feel like it's not a movie you walk out of going we need more exorcism movies i get it's a sort of ripe subject for the kind of thing you know what i mean but it's not it just it's not the kind of movie you watch one and you're like i need 12 more of these like you might with a ghost story or a western you know yeah and that's Um, the thing too like the ghost stories like you know if i am watching the evil deads of the world it's like oh i want a million more evil deads right like that's all i want where this is not this is the one thing i do think will catch you up that I think will be amusing uh, now that I, th- now that I've thought about it, and you've talked about things that might affect your notions in terms of what movies you haven't seen basically. Right. Mm-hmm. The thing that will catch you up is actually stuff you have seen. And I just realized what it is. You're going to have a bunch of scenes in it that are going to p- potentially fall flat or strike wrong because you've seen them parodied. Ah, so you're going to have seen the exorcism scene in the boondocks and you're going to make comparisons. You're going to have seen, um, uh-huh. there's a, there's a, some discussion at the beginning of a movie about a demon and when you hear his name you're immediately going to know where you've heard that name before and it's not in a horror movie it's in a comedy um <laughs> it, actually it might be what's the name of the demon in hereditary uh Pyman. okay no very similar name but not the same one but this is but this one when you hear the name you will immediately go oh and then every time you hear it you'll hear it in the voice of a specific character and it will it will ruin an aspect of this for you. See, that's that's where I feel like, and I guess there are other movies out there where you could say that that have become parodies of themselves. But I, I'm not going to go yeah. into some of those. But let's let's take one that I have a series that I have seen most of. Right? Okay. We'll say Child's Play. Right? Oh sure. So Child's Play is one of those things where, like, the first one, it was a pretty well like it was a scary Child's Play movie. Is a horror movie. It's a horror yeah. movie. Right? It's a horror movie where the, with a let's be honest, Chucky's not. Chucky's just a serial killer. He yes. happens to be a doll, but he's a serial killer. So he's got snark, yes. but it's not a comedy. The first one. No, the first one isn't. But then they become parodies of themselves to oh, where... Yeah. O- over the course of it, it goes from horror to comedy horror to comedy with slasher elements to absolute parody. Yes. I think that honestly, and, and I'm going to say, I have liked every single Child's Play movie I've ever seen, but I mostly remember the funnier bits where it's being self-referential and making fun of itself. Some of the best moments in Child's Play are the ones where the doll voiced by Jennifer Tilly, Chucky's bride, 
is interacting with Jennifer Tilly playing herself. That's that was like, literally yeah. going to be the scenes I called out where it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that's honestly some of the funniest shit, funniest shit I've ever seen, Morty. <laughs> but I, like, it's it's like that, I guess. That yeah, you might be right that I might have ruined myself by not seeing this. Maybe I guess I, at I, a more I, impressionable I, age. Honestly, I don't feel like it's that. It's sort of. It's just something you would fall into by seeing enough media in general and not having been born when The Exorcist came out. You know what I mean? Like it's, or not, you know, been old enough to see it in theaters. I feel like everyone is going to run into a little of this. Yeah. Is you're going to watch The Exorcist and you're going to see scenes almost inevitably that have been referenced, parodied, whatever, in something else. Because it's so ubiquitous. Well, I guess... I, I don't think it'll ruin the movie. I just mean, like, I, I'm just saying there are beats that maybe were meant to be scarier, or maybe weren't even meant to be beats, that will, for you, be an be amusing beat. beat, where you'll go, oh, I know that. I uh, I think I might um, actually come out seeing this as a more of a, of a comedy... <laughs> Right. Like, I, I, this, I think, is, this is, it's gone from being, ah, oh, yes, a scary exorcism film to, ah, oh, this is a black comedy. Right. I, I think by the end, no. Because, and the other thing is, and a lot of people don't think about this, and it's something I think you and the other people going into it, you know, over the break should be prepared for. Um, you know, a good half might be extreme, but I want to say half. In the book, I'm willing to say three quarters of The Exorcist is not the exorcism. Um, and I don't just mean not the exorcism. I'm willing to say not only not the exorcism, barely the creepy stuff happening bit. There is a lot going on with the characters in this. Those parts you don't see parodied. Mm, yeah. Those parts you don't see referenced because they're not the major scenes that the movie was shocking for. But they're a significant part of what makes, and this might be what catches you about it, what I hope catches you about it, is that it's actually cut the entire exorcism itself out this is actually it's a pretty solid movie with some interesting characters going through some interesting stuff um see that's probably what i'm more so excited about honestly yeah. is the bits that i haven't seen because like i said i've seen a lot of the famous scenes and as you have pointed out i've probably seen more than i think because it's i've seen parodies of it yeah. right yeah so i i can probably put a lot of the context clues together of all these scenes that i've seen but then again all of the stuff that is not those famous bits yeah, I've completely missed out on. Yeah, so, so I, I think I think that would hopefully save it for, especially because the famous bits. If you watched them without the rest of the movie, you definitely would find this a black comedy for sure. Okay, but with the rest of the movie, just because you've seen parodies of them, with the rest of the movie, I think there's less likelihood of that, just because now these characters will have been fleshed out and developed. You know what I mean? You'll like, you might go, oh, <laughs> I remember that from this, but oh, it's. It has some impact now that the characters are someone I've been watching and I kind of know this character and I, you know, maybe I care what's going to happen to them. Maybe I at least am just, I'm invested in knowing how it ends. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm curious. That, that, that was just what I want to know is what is what kind of preconceptions are going to affect it. And I think uh, I, I'm going to make a bet on this one that unlike The Godfather, I think you're going to like this. I don't know if you'll love it, but I think you are at least going to... Like, I don't think this is going to be a movie where afterwards you're going to be like, you know what was better than that? Kangaroo Jack, because you're fucktarded. <laughs> Unlike uh, The Godfather, you won't rate uh, this one as below Kangaroo Jack. 
That's uh, that's that's my prediction. I'd like to be more optimistic and go. You're, you're gonna give it a four. It's a really great movie, but realistically, your opinions are trash, and you're gonna give it something. That is true. Long. My opinions are trash. So to to give you my trash opinion right now, <laughs> I I think that I'm hoping it's going to be higher than this. Okay. But I, I'm thinking I'm gonna give it a solid two point five, just simply because I think it's been a long enough time. A lot of the a lot of the sort of I guess parodies will have maybe heard it a bit, uh, and I think I'm going to maybe unfairly, unfairly again, and I'll try to divorce it, and hopefully it'll come out a little bit higher than this from uh, The Exorcist Three, which again, based on what you've told me there, I'm a little bit more positive, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess hopeful that that's the case, but I think I'm going to probably rate it a two point five out of five, which again, solid good. Okay. But not necessarily going to be my favorite. I think I'm going to at least enjoy. That I have watched it, but I probably will just be like, all right, well, I, I've watched it, and I'll probably not watch it again for a very long time, at the very least. So I do have one question Yes. Um, before I give my rating, and it's related to your rating, sort of. Uh, I assume you already have a copy of this ready to go. Yes. Final cut? I believe it is either the final cut or the director's cut. I have okay. to double check. Okay. Um, let me know, I'm because I'm curious, because I've... Uh... I've seen more than one cut, but I honestly couldn't tell you what's not in the final cut anymore because, <laughs> because I've seen that one so many times that I think if I watched another one, I might, it would be more like if I watched another one, I would afterwards go, wait a minute, where was that scene? But, um, but I, I'm just curious cause I, it, I don't, I don't think there's any cut of it that would reduce your rating or raise your rating necessarily, but the final cut is a solid like five or six minutes longer. I mean, it's a reasonable amount. I of did. Change. I do not have the theatrical cut. Okay, good. Then, then you should be all right. Uh, you should be all right. At least as far um, as I'm aware, I'd have to go look at it. Um, just, just make sure. Um, if you don't, I, you know, if you don't, I'll hand you a DVD because you gotta get. You, you can't get the. the I mean, you can get. Like I said, you can get the theatrical cut. I just. Again, in my head, I, I can't remember what was cut from it, so I might be just blowing smoke out my ass, but because for me to go, yeah, I think you'll like it a lot, I have to go the one I'm, you know, the one I think of. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm giving it a, I'm giving it a five. I, I actually think... Oh, wow. It, you know what? I, I really, really like The Exorcist. I think it's a really great, well-made movie. I, I like the plot. I like the acting. Uh, it has a lot of practical effects. Uh, does it have a few downfalls? Sure. I mean, yeah, there's a few pretty, there's a few moments in it that I'll talk about more in the second half. I can't really talk about them right now. Um, they wouldn't make, they, they would be spoilery. But, uh, but despite them, I think it's one of those movies that just, it doesn't, anything it does wrong is minor enough that it doesn't detract from the experience. As an experience, I think The Exorcist is a five-star film. It's, wow. Yeah. Well, that that makes me hopeful. I like I said, I I really want to go into these like sort of with an open mind, and, and yeah. I think The Exorcist is the one where I maybe of all the ones that I'm doing this spooky season, maybe have the least reservations about because it's I guess the most positive in my mind as far as like oh I've seen at least one of the Exorcist films and I like sure. So I, I guess unless you have anything else to say on this, I, I hope you... you enjoy it. I hope the the listeners at home take this moment if you haven't watched it, watch it. If you have watched it, rewatch it. Or if you have watched The Exorcist but not Part Three, why not watch Part Three and then come back for the second half of this and be confused? 
Yeah, because I'm sure we'll <laughs> reference part three at some point no, during part two. Entirely. We're never bringing it up again. No, it doesn't <laughs> exist. All right, well, with that said, we'll see you on the other side. How long are you planning to stay in Reagan? Until she rots and lies stinking in the earth. What an excellent day for an exorcism. No, no, that was no spasm. Look, I got on the bed. The whole bed was thumping and rising up the floor and shaking the whole thing. You're gonna die up there. Be silent! <laughs> it burns! Oh, it burns! I'm sorry, she's been sick. She okay. didn't know what she was sick. Okay. That's ours, mine! The problem with your daughter is not her bed, it's her brain. You'd like that? I cast you out! Unclean spirit! Shut up your ass! In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ! It is he who commands you! He who commands you! Heads of heaven to the depths of hell! Fuck him! Be gone! Fuck him, Garrus! From Fuck this him. creature of God! He must have been drunk. He fell down from the top of the steps right outside. By the time he hit M Street, broke his neck. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I am joined in this very spooky of seasons by my good friend, Patrick. We have just gotten back from watching The Exorcist, directed by William Friedkin from 1973. Uh, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, nonetheless. <laughs> So, I don't know. I I liked it. I liked it, just in general. I think that there were a lot of bits of it that were... I didn't. But on a whole, I think it was, it was good. I think I'm probably going to come up from where I was. Uh, but to give you an idea, I was at 2.5 uh, originally in the pretty, first half. Yeah. And you were at a perfect 5. Um, but you have seen this before, so that was sort of a lot of times. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I can be honest that my rating, I'm going to, I'll just like, I'll tip that hat way early for me. It's not going to have changed. The only thing that could change it for me is it's one of those movies where every time I watch it, I would say the special effects have aged a little more poorly, but I think only a couple scenes is that really true for, because so many of them are practical anyway. And then also and not that a lot of them aren't that extreme. The head spin and vomit gets yeah. more comical every time. But like the walking down the stairs thing, that's yeah. that's that's pretty much going to be creepy looking no matter how you do it, and not really going to age poorly because it's not supposed to look quite right in the first place. Yeah, I think um, I think that it, it so, was a little bit. That one was one that kind of was like, oh, this is really cool, and then it ended too soon for me, and I was like, oh, this is it's sad. Well, uh, I'm thinking that's part of. Part of that, I think, is limitations of effects at the time. They don't want to overplay it and ruin it, right? You know, make it look too much like an effect by running it too long. Um, mm. Kind of like you don't, you never do a magic trick twice because it makes yeah. it too obvious. And then part of it, I think, is in some ways... Now, there are some ways The Exorcist is not at all understated, as I'm sure you are now aware. But there are some places where I think it is intentionally because it is... It's not a true story, but it is, I think, more of a true styled exorcism story than a lot of other yes, similar movies. And so, you know, if you read stories about 
true to life exorcisms, that is a lot of it. It is a whole lot of anything that happens, no matter how extreme, tends to be in fairly short bursts. You never, it's not really usually a prolonged bunch of horror. You know what I mean? It's like these little yeah. moments where the 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 entity shifts it shifts its hand, and the rest of the time is not, um, yeah, not much happening. I it's think more... that actually that was my favorite part of The Exorcist. Frankly, was and I think you mentioned this in the first half was that the lead up to the exorcism, all of that, like to the I guess the pivotal scenes that we that everyone has seen in the collective conscious or at least knows about, right? Right. Those, the sort of zeitgeist scenes yeah, that you yeah. have out there. The, the build-up was actually... I th- I was surprised that it was my favorite part of the movie. Introducing all of the different characters. You know, putting them in, in you know, here and there. And just sprinkling them throughout. Uh, and, you know, having seen The Exorcist 3, putting... Um, oh, what's what's the, the, the character's name? Um, I'm bad with names. But uh, the, the detective in oh, there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Even though that was probably also the, one of the more disappointing parts is that... Man, I've seen this man played by, you know you know, George C. Scott, and right. he's not, but like, I got, I got the reference, it tied yeah. it in, it made, it made the, the third one much more cohesive, at least from the beginning, because the beginning is a little bit jarring if you haven't seen the first Exorcist. Well, yeah, yeah, and also but once you get going, it, it doesn't really matter. Father Karras's entire appearance in the third one essentially is a lot less impactful without you don't the first who one yeah. Is. Yeah. because yeah the whole thing is that father Karras seemed to have died i i think i think that in the third in the third exorcist and again i haven't seen the second but the third one basically did a good job of explaining who father Karras was essentially oh yeah yeah but i think it's still a lot more like it's especially more when he first shows up it's like when he first shows up it's like or like the first major scene they have where the detective's interviewing him and George C. Scott is saying, you know, I see a man who looks like Damien Karras. It's like that scene doesn't have the same click, really, when you didn't, with him, see Damien Karras almost certainly die, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think I think the build-up... I mean, Karras' build-up... The, the, Karras' story of potentially losing his faith is I think potentially more interesting in a lot of ways than the the rest of the Exorcist. Yeah, I um, I liked that whole. I didn't like the subplot at first, kind of because it, it was a little jarring how they kind of went from like, oh, we're in the desert now, we're following this other guy. The, oh, the opening desert scene is. I think it took till the second or third time I watched the movie for me to go, all right, I finally entirely get why this is here, because it's clearly yeah, this is where they're. It's just, frankly, it doesn't affect the plot. It it's only sort of... affects later when um, the older priest says, Father Marin, yeah. it is, he mentions, I have dealt with Pazuzu before. And that opening scene is basically like a vignette almost of him doing it. Because he's not even actively doing it in that scene. And nor does anything from that opening scene other than him show up, well, and Pazuzu. But not the statue or anything, you know? It's like... Ah, yes, I was in Afghanistan and I ran into Pazuzu. We're not going to show you that. We're going to show you me in Afghanistan, a statue of Pazuzu. You're going to hear some dogs bark. But mm-hmm. you're not going to see me do an exorcism in Afghanistan. Later, I'm going to point out that this girl's possessed by Pazuzu. And I am going to say that I met him before in Afghanistan. But it's like such a weird connection. 
But I think yeah. that's a I th- well I think that scene is in the book. I don't actually remember for sure because I, I have I've, read well, the I've book, never read the book. I've read the book, but I don't remember exactly if that scene. I think it is. But even if it wasn't that scene, I do think even if you found it unnecessary or whatever, you can kind of forgive it in the basis of if you look at when the movie came out a lot of movies at the time had that scene there is the opening scene i of felt a like pivotal i've seen character. that before yeah the, yes. the opening scene of a pivotal character in an exotic land doing something that will vaguely relate to the plot later but this is not kicking off the plot it, it's kind of like the Chekhov gun right yeah like it, it's it's that but for a character like you know he's going to come back and you know he's going to he's going to finish basically what you didn't see him do yeah that's yeah. that's what that's what the scene is it's literally you could just take the movie and you could essentially take out everything from there where it ends that scene to the part where he starts the exorcism again and that's well, actually a great example. The beginning of Jurassic Park where they're in the mines digging up the, 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 oh, the yeah. now while that is tied in much more later with a bigger explanation of it. The fact is the explanation of it later is so big. It basically makes that scene unnecessary. Yes. Um, I, I think ditto that's why on it's the a little... scene with the kill shooter shooter with, he's got the T-Rex thing. That entire scene is rendered un- unnecessary by explanation later. Yeah. Jurassic but Park they're... did that a lot more. <laughs> this movie didn't it's really explain them things into, to yeah. But it, uh, yeah, this one kept it much less explained. But it is the same kind of scene in that it's movies of that era had. You have the little opening blip that isn't... These days it would be either a gag to introduce you to the main character or a blip of the supervillain, be this an actual superhero movie or just the, you know, the big bad kicking off some small part of what is clearly a grand plan. Well, yeah, that, that scene um, at the end or at the beginning of the exorcist would have been the after credit scene of a Marvel movie. Yeah. It, but it would, it also would have had to be of the exorcist prequel. You'd yeah, see that yeah. scene. Yeah, exactly. Or, or like, um, or like, Oh, Hey, like father Marin didn't die. And like, here's where he's going. Next. Exactly. Like yeah. something like that. But, yeah. But here it was in an era where you did that kind of thing at the beginning. But I, I admit that yes, jumping from that to, <laughs> Karis working out and talking to his shrink or I you know his friend because he's a shrink about how he's losing his face is uh is pretty it's a pretty major jump yeah once once I got into that plot I was really all about it I I think the thing for me is that while the exorcist was a very good ride getting to that end I think that Knowing about The Exorcist, like we said before, and having seen all of these things, not necessarily even the the like parodies of it, I think. It's just The Exorcist being such a cultural thing actually hurt it more than anything else for me because I had seen a few of these bits and pieces here and there, like some of The Exorcist stuff. I, like, I, I know the references. Like I can, sure. I can reference it, right, without having seen it. And that's how you know it's oh, such yeah, a big I, thing. I know I've met at least one person who has never seen the whole movie and can line almost line for line quote the, uh, the you know, that would be a vulgar display of power scene. And it's like, okay, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's very much... You know. Yeah, I like the the Kara sort of like trying to combat losing his faith. I think the thing where it fell apart for me was getting towards the end. They clearly had a like free whether this was Friedkin or or whoever, and I, it could have been the book too. But the book probably explains a lot more, and it's a lot better as far as character development of Karis goes. But what I feel like it did was it went too fast from a priest losing his faith to basically kind of 
seeing this this thing happen that he thought was kind of maybe maybe even like a fairy tale, right? Because he, he clearly doesn't really believe right, yeah, that you can be possessed. Yeah, he believes it's a psychological condition until he sees it. Until he sees it. So, you know, obviously, like, the whole archetype of the Doubting Thomas, stuff like that, there's a lot stronger yeah. of a connection there, stuff like that. But you go from that to doing the exorcism, and I think that there's, a there's like, a spot that we miss somewhere. It... And it, it just it never the, felt quite book, right and fulfilling at the end where, okay, the exorcism scene's kind of okay, but then the ending just feels like, okay, he kind of sacrificed himself for this girl, but, like, d- did he, what was his real motivation there? Because you weren't sure. Like, was it, did he find his faith again? Did he not? Was he despairing? So Was he giving in? Was he, or was he doing a selfless act because he knew that the best chance of getting this demon out was not, The was book dead. leaves that part a little more, leaves it about as open for the debate as the movie does, as to exactly what Karis's motivation okay, was. Okay, okay. But, but not entirely as much. The indication is much more so. It is made a little more clear there that he was basically viewing this as the only way to complete it <clears throat> on the basis of he not being an exorcist did not believe he could finish it. Yeah. The proper way. And it, it's also indicated a lot more in the book. The movie, I think, does a reasonable job of visually indicating it, but because of a few of the more extreme moments, like the projectile vomiting and stuff, I think it's a little easier to miss in the movie than it is in the book, where they say it more explicitly, that there is a significant worry that Regan's going to die during the exorcism. Like, that this is, that part of why he's, will, they're willing to go through a pretty extreme, you know, Karis is willing to take the demon into him and throw himself out a window. Because she is will Because, die. yeah, if he, if someone who can't do an exorcism like him tries to finish it, even if he succeeds, it'll kill her. And the worry is that even with Meryl there originally, they're worried that she's going to die. Um, yeah, and it wasn't so, necessarily made super clear. Like, I think, I think by the end you kind of got it, but my, my biggest problem with it really was just that. You really didn't know, because I, what I would have liked to have seen, right, is you have sort of a, a you know, Karis more coming to terms with what things are, right, and, and then still, but still having some doubt, right? You have to have that, that sort of, the really big conflict, and you can still leave that open for debate at the end, but I think that they really sort of lost sight that this movie was about Karis's sort of, you know, struggle with losing or keep or, or regaining his faith right or, or or lack thereof it's and it sort of went to the exorcism and then it's like oh this is the only way i can finish well, I, it so there's to me there's that gap of like i don't think the movie's entirely about that i think i think part of why you might be seeing a gap there is you may have gone too far to the making it about karis the movie is only half about karis and the other half isn't about the exorcism it's about reagan yeah that well that's um, true that's and, true and and reagan gets sort of more completion even though her story really is just uh, her life isn't perfect it leaves her open terrible things happen to her she comes out and both she and her mom kind of have a better idea of the issues with their life now the issues with their life aren't delved into that much in the movie but they're hinted at they're delved into quite a bit more in the book yeah um but that is clearly a time thing because there's a lot of scenes that are missing from the movie that are in the book, and a few of them would have been great. Like uh, there, so there's a scene in the movie, the one where Reagan walks down the steps, tells the astronaut he's going to die in space and pees herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a priest at her house playing piano, and they're all kind of having a good time at the party before this happens. So in the book, there's two priests at their house. Um, it's made much more explicit several times how Reagan's mother isn't religious, but these are just 
these guys are kind of socialite priests. Um, but the priests are... A, yeah, that was weird to um, me, too, is that the, the other priest who is, I guess, the, the one in, in three... Um, oh uh, yeah. what's his name um oh god i don't remember it, but, his yeah, name. but anyway it's, yeah uh, it, yeah it, it's it's the book gets a little more into like who the people at her party are and why they're there for the movie to do that i think it would have been a really it would have not have been a good scene because it would have been boring because you basically would be explaining here's where all these people fit in the social structure in which she hangs out in and since they're only there for one scene it would have been wasted screen time but obviously books can get through that a little look, bit look so if quentin take... tarantino was directing this he could have just put like words, oh, yeah, on, words on, the on the screen, screen. and yeah. then like yeah bam. Sure. but um but so all there's actually two priests at the party in the book there might even be in the movie now that i think about it but i only remember the one playing piano but uh there's a extended a couple extended scenes at the party that are just people talking it's like just you sort of getting to know these characters who don't really matter to kind of flesh the world out and so like the i think it's the one who plays piano is a Thomist, and one of the other priests there is either a Dominican or, or a Jesuit, and they get into a huge argument about something. Mm. And it's full of jokes that you'd only get if you were a Catholic aware of the disagreements between some of these groups. And the jokes are never explained beyond Reagan's mom saying she doesn't get them, and him being, and both priests being like, it's because you're not a. Uh, what the thing the other priest is like it's literally just like <laughs> this explicitly like in joke aimed at catholics and he spends like three pages on it like it's just there's a lot sort of more world it's also made much more explicit that the astronaut does die um yes mm. he goes to space and yes he dies because the demon was predicting the future it was it yeah. was yeah so it's there's there's more a, a little more of that built in but i think a lot of that this was you know, you cut cut out a lot to make it movie length, and it was an era in an sort of in an era and the type of movie in addition to that where you couldn't really get away with making it a lot longer. I also think if you had made it a lot, if they had made it longer, they could have. Well, I think they were going to make it a bit longer anyway. Obviously, there was like fifteen cuts of it, but I think if it had gotten too much longer, you could have included a lot more of those amusing moments. You could have gotten a little more into Reagan and her mother's life, her mother's love life, how that kind of affected the home life and led to everything. Uh, more of Karis's relationship with his mother, which is dealt with a lot, but is dealt with even more in the book. More of his exact feelings near the end, etc., etc., etc. The problem with all that is, at some point for a movie, that would have drugged too much, and the exorcism at the end would have lost any impact it did have. Because, yeah. you know, you would have been there too. <clears throat> no, I, I so... get what you're saying on that. I mean, and, and that's that really kind of just comes down to the hazard of adapting a book, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Unless you are Peter Jackson and you have the entire financial stability of a country behind you, <laughs> you know? Yes. If the whole country of New Zealand depends on you for basically well, its that's existence. Also, that's also a different kind of story. That's an epic. Yes, and you Like, The you Exorcist can, isn't yeah. an epic. You couldn't have directed it as an epic any because it's just the story isn't anyway so when certain kinds of stories suffer on screen somewhat because you have to cut some corners because of the type of story you're it's not like like ben-hur ben-hur can be as long as it is ben-hur is an epic whether or not you think ben-hur is 100 years long and is boring which is i think a legitimate thing some people think mm-hmm. um I like Ben Hur, but I, I but like Ben Hur. But it I can't, hold, there are parts yeah, that drag on. I hold nothing against people who are like Ben Hur's eleven hours long and boring. It is eleven hours long, and there are parts that are boring, even though I like it. It's still worth watching for the chariot race. 
Yes. But um, but it's an epic. It's a story that spans like an enormous amount of time and stuff. Lord of the Rings, even though in a sense it sometimes seems like it's a short story because it seems like basically we had the council, we got going, and next minute we're in mortar. No, Frodo and Sam were walking for like it was a couple years. The fellowship. I think it was like three to four years. Yeah, the fellowship. Like the that. whole Lord of the Rings took a long time. They had time for major battles. They traveled across more or less the entirety of what, for most people, is the in their world is the known world. Like it's an epic. You can take nine hours plus with the extended editions to do it. The Exorcist is not an epic. It does the storyline does not take place over longer than a full year, basically, and a lot of the story is focused on just a couple characters, and for some of them, even for Regan and her mom, who you would think this would be an all day every day thing, it's clearly indicated by some of the earlier on parts where they're doing more normal things. Yeah, that until sort of it reaches a certain apex, even once the possession is started. No, most of their days have nothing to do with it. And and for Karis, <clears throat> while he might be doubting his faith every day, he still is doing the priest he's stuff. Doing the, yeah. He's still a practicing psychiatrist, and he's clearly a dude who works out all the time. The majority of his time is not actually taken up by actively confronting this problem. So you couldn't make it an epic, which means that, yes, then you're going to lose things, which may, like you say, pull some of the punch from the ending. Because you're left with parts where you're like, well, I would have liked to have a little more resolution to that. But I also think that is, that's reason A. I think reason B is, I think some of the lack of resolution to some of it is also because this isn't a story about victory. Nobody's overcoming anything. It's, it, no, this is no. a this is a disaster movie, almost. You know what I mean? Like, you're trying to cauterize a wound. Yeah, is this the whole is, point of this film. Yeah, this really. isn't even this isn't a horror movie where the good guys beat the big bad. This isn't a slasher film where the big bad wins either. This is a, a story that is, despite being a fictional story intended just to scare you, is in a lot of ways trying to be like a real exorcism story, and that means you're not getting closure, you're not getting you're not getting satisfaction. Well, no, because I mean, you... It's not there. Because, like, when when Reagan Lee... I, I like the ending, uh, basically, for the most part. I mean, you, you have that moment where, like, Reagan, you know, kind of goes up and, like, she... Because she clearly doesn't remember anything that happened. Right. And she, like, sees the priest collar and she's like, oh, she gives him, like, a little, like, kiss on the cheek, thanks, bye. Yeah. Like, she clearly doesn't know. Like, you, you feel hopeful for her, right? And you see that sort of Casablanca ending with um, the other priest and the detective. And they walk off, clearly leading towards, you know, obviously the third exorcist. Where right. that kind of is, they walk off onto the set of that movie. <laughs> like, basically, basically. Yeah. Although that's like, what, 10 years later or something like that? 10, About, 15? Yeah. So, but, but yeah, they walk off onto the set of that other movie. But it is, you're right, because they don't really resolve what happened to... Like Father Karras, because Father Karras, like he dies, but like the demon wasn't defeated. Like, well, it, the demon was was defeated it, it was out defeated of Reagan as much as you're gonna get. As much yeah, as you're gonna get, but like you know, like the, the whole it sets the whole kind of precedent that like because of the exorcism at the beginning, which you kind of get the idea like yeah, this thing is going to keep coming back, and people are gonna have to keep dealing with this. yeah. And I, but and but part of that is I think it's because it is not that's how it is though. You know, yeah. this is not trying to make a lesson where... Pe people don't think also, it'd be, but it do. Things about, like, Karis... No, Karis doesn't actually... You never get to see him resolve all of his doubts, but part of that is because Karis doesn't get that luxury. 
Karis is still in the process of figuring them out when he is put in this situation where he does the thing that comes to his head I, and then gets killed. So, okay, you, you well, know, I think I think that's more my problem is that that sort of situation that he's in where it's unresolved, they never really make it feel like it's tense, right? They never make it feel like he's on the fence one way or the other. Like cuz you can do this sort of thing and I've seen movies like I can't think of any off the top of my head right now cuz obviously I'm in the conversation but after I'm done I'll think of like 20, right? Fair. Where you have a situation where you don't know what the outcome really was for a character but you know that they made it tense up until the end. He made a decision and you can go any which way of which way he decided to go or she or whoever it is. Oh, right? I, yeah. Like cuz you can make it more tense while still presenting clear choices like, "Oh, that he's losing his faith. Like, oh, he's clearly lost his faith and he's despaired. No, he didn't. He but, he saved that girl. He's clearly a hero. But, no, you can argue it both but ways, I but think, I don't think they made it tense, right? I don't think it should have been. And, and I'll tell you why. And this is, it's part of why I like Karis's story through the whole thing. I don't think it should have been tense. Okay, let me rephrase that. For a movie, yeah. It, it's, it's a failing as a movie. It should have been tense. In terms of Karis's story especially in the book, but I'll give it even some credit in the movie, sort of being semi-realistic. Mm. I mean, it's a thing a lot of people actually deal with, um, you know, a crisis of faith. I, I think it's actually quite perfect because you don't actually have that tense moment. It, it, it's There's no tense moment. There's no tension throughout your whole... You don't feel... I think a lot of people... This Now, this probably isn't everybody. Maybe some people having a crisis of faith do feel a lot more tension. I, I, I think a crisis of faith is a lot more like a cloud than a tension. You know what I mean? It is, it's, it's a, it's walking through a muddy marsh. It is walking through a cloud or driving through the fog. It is never this, I must snap either way. Never this, there's so much riding on this. So much is, it's, it's like being lost. Not like, and which is again, terrible on film i I think that's that's my point is that as a as a study of a real life thing and maybe as an adaptation of a book i would say probably it's it's better oh no but i think i think as a movie it's a failing of the movie to be god damn it entertaining you don't like it because it's a character study it's just like the godfather No, I like this character study better because the characters were actually interesting. Fair enough. I just, I just, it's just something occurring to me. I'm like, wait, I've heard parts of this. Um, it, it, it's it. What it but, really did is, again, like you said, it can be as realistic as you want, but at the end of the day, this is a form of entertainment. Yes. And if is... you are not necessarily like, if I wanted to read sort of a, if I wanted to do this, obviously, it's probably a better book, honestly, than a movie anyway. Um, uh, for yeah, what it is. Yeah, probably for what it is. Uh, because if I'm going to consume that sort of entertainment, right, then I probably want, like, if I want some, a real life, a nonfiction that gets as close to real life as possible, right? You mean a, fi- a fiction that gets as close to real or life? Or a fiction, yeah. that, yeah. I'm... <laughs> so a nonfiction ideally gets, yes, as close to real life as possible. That is the point. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Historians are fake and um... not real. But... Basically, it, it, it's sort of a failing of the movie itself to not make me kind of draw. Like, it drew me in, right? Yeah, yeah. No, and no, it was I'm, great. It was a great build-up. That's build fair, up. yeah. And, and I liked the characters. There were no characters that I didn't necessarily like. I I wanted Reagan to live, right? I wanted the you yeah. know the demon to be exercised. Uh, and to an extent, like, Marin. Like, Marin was kind of odd 
as a character, he kind of was a weird deus ex machina that ended up not being a deus ex machina at the end. Yes. Uh, it was sort of a weird character, but I even liked him. Karis was relatable. Like, that's oh, the yeah. one thing that I can say is that, like, you know, yeah, I may not be a priest, but, like, I've gone through the stuff that he goes yeah. through, like, but, and, on but a different scale. I think scale. that might be it. I think if you gave him too much more tension, it might be a better film. But I think he would be a little less relatable. I think you're probably right. I think it would... As a character study, I think it was okay. And I, I think... But for me, it, it may not even be the tension. I'm, I'm not necessarily 100% sure how I would articulate or how I would go about changing this because I'm not a filmmaker. I'm just some I'm just some random asshole that's like <laughs> recording his opinions and putting them on the internet, right? Sure. For my personal taste, right? Yeah. For what I want to see in a movie, I wanted this to be maybe less of a character study and more dramatic, right? Because at the end, you oh. get those that scene where it's, you know, you get all the scenes where it's sort of coming to you know, the denouement of the movie where it's coming to a head and everyone's thinking, and, and that honestly was really slow too, right? Surprisingly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the most extreme scene was where she's, like, trying, like, stabbing herself in the vagina with, with the, the crucifix. crucifix. Yeah, I was, that's what I was waiting for because one of the, the two questions I really wanted to ask you, I was like, I was like, no, I gotta wait till the end because it's your show, but I, I need to know. Did you actually find any moments scary and did you actually find any moments shocking? That, for me, is the scene that not realizing that was in the movie, when that happened, I was like, Oh, because up until that point, if you took the rest of the movie and took that scene out and then someone told you, you know, when this came out, it was shocking to people. I would have been like, even at the time, really? But you put that scene and it's like, oh, yeah. Because yeah, like okay. there were probably like, more shocking scenes. Well, I was going to say Rosemary's Baby, which was I was going to bring up a point about that one, too, because that was kind of of a similar. It was a little earlier, but. Like, that one was always kind of regarded a little shocking, too, but, like... Yeah, yeah. In a different um, way, maybe. Yeah, I'd say a different way. I, I Just the jamming a crucifix into your vagina while blood sprays everywhere and screaming, let Jesus fuck you, is not... That is... That is... <laughs> you don't have to have any particular level of religious faith to find that at least a little shocking. And if you do have some, it suddenly becomes a lot more shocking. A everything um, after that point, to me, was slightly just... Is it going to top this? And I think the anticipation <laughs> of it topping that and it never doing it was just a little disappointing. And I think that was, that also hurt it that the, one of the most shocking scenes came, frankly, probably like halfway through the movie. It's in, it's in the same spot in the book. I mean, that it's, it's basically the same scene. I, I think, yeah, I can see why that would be that way. But I think that also falls into the, in terms of the narrative. And again, this might hurt it a little as a movie. It isn't a traditional movie narrative it is you know again just like for an exorcism the peak isn't always during it the peak isn't you know the peak isn't always at any particular point it's just when it is really for me the peak of this movie was where Karis is doing the sort of like you know that scene where he is talking and recording basically oh. and then after he's done recording goes back and he's listening to it again and he figures out that it's backwards and like that that sequence of events right there that is the best part of the movie for me that's a great it was yeah it peaked right there and then after that it was like it was ever just so slightly disappointing and then the ending was was nice like it was a nice surprisingly nice ending for what it was oh yeah yeah you, I, you get much more closure than you would think despite not having closure to all the individual threats yeah, uh, like, the individual threat's still there. However, yeah, all of the characters who are still at least alive... Well, because, I mean, realistically, you can look at it from the perspective of the other priest who you see in Exorcist 3, which I, I swear, I swear, I bat so bad with names, but, like, 
his character really actually more than Karis's actually com probably comes back into more of a fullness of sort of faith and realization because like you see at the beginning or, or sort of at a, at a at a at a point where he's at the party being a socialite you're not sure why he's there he's out of place he steals uh so what is it shavas regal i yeah, think yeah i i remember that i remember the booze that they stole but i don't yeah. remember the character's name like <laughs> but like he steals it and karis is like stealing's a sin you know as he walks out and like he's clearly like kind of like i'm a groovy oh, yeah. i'm a groovy priest from the 60s and 70s like you know that's what i do but at the end you get a clear feeling that he has he's he's he has more of a purpose now right? yeah like he knows yeah. he knows this stuff is out here he accepts it as true and for him it may more so the movie may may more so be a to me it feels like it's more about him and like seeing this other thing happening and even though he's sort of a background character i i would say so i don't know if the first if the movie or book were you know, if the third one was planned at that point. So I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I will say both he, especially as he moves into the third one and then Karis are two great examples. Marin's kind of the odd one out, but there's sort of a, in some exorcism movies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Especially more recent ones. Mm -hmm. uh, at least in a, the ones where the possession is the focus, right? Yeah. The religious figure that shows up to do the exorcism usually it's a priest but it isn't always it's uh what's the one is it the unborn or something the the one where the exorcist is done by a jewish by a rabbi and it's i think it's i think it's oh um gary oldman i think is the rabbi maybe yeah i um i haven't come to think of it there's another one i've also seen one. where a rabbi does an exorcism and it isn't gary oldman and he's like he's a rabbi rabbi like in full gear uh but anyway the point is not all exorcism movies are, this, are, are done by Catholic priests. It's just like 99% of them. But it is, with a few exceptions, like The Conjuring, where there's a lot more going on. Like, that's an investigation of a haunting where an exorcism happens, right? Mm -hmm. Most ones with the possession and exorcism are the point. The priests are almost a deus ex machina. Like, almost outright. And even if they're not, they're at the very least not as developed a character as the other characters. They are... Mm -hmm sort of a, a tool or a plot device. You know what I mean? They are sort of at their best, the wise old guy at the gas station warning you not to go into the haunted town. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah, like they're yeah, never, yeah. whereas in the exorcist movies, the priests are very, not just developed, but they're human. Like they are in no yeah. way really special in terms of their powers with the only exception being Marin. And I think that is sort of mitigated by the fact that Marin dies. I think that's sort of intentional is the point is that yes, Marin is that good. Yes. Marin is that stoic. That is because Marin has been doing this for a clearly a thousand years. Cause he's a, cause he's a million years old, Yeah, you know, <laughs> and he doesn't make it through it because there's only so much one person can do that before it is done too much to you. And it, you know, and you're done. So I think even Marin actually stands out as being a very human character in terms of, yes, he's developed a sort of superhuman level of doing what he does, but you can't do that for that long. Like that will kill you. That the human body, the human spirit isn't meant to handle that. Well, and arguably Whereas, if you, if you're looking at this from a very bleak perspective too, uh, I mean, maybe the whole point of this was that Pazuzu knew basically. Cause I mean, he was 
talking about Marin, it was intentional that he killed. And I, without is, reading the book, it's that it intentional is, that yes. he kills Marin. The book makes that actually explicit? kind of hints. It doesn't make oh, that okay. explicit, but it, it it very much hints that either that was entirely intentional or that Pazuzu is at least taking some credit for it being intentional because even if it wasn't, isn't it a nice feather in your cap? Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, though also... The the did you before seeing the the Exorcist know that the demon in its name was Pazuzu? Uh no, okay. actually. So did when you hear it, you immediately that was one of the moments where I went, "You're gonna hear them say Pazuzu, and you're immediately gonna think of the professor Pazuzu," <laughs> and it's gonna ruin it. It's just gonna be like uh, it didn't ruin it for me, but I was like, I kind of smirked a bit. I was yeah. like, oh ha. Huh. <laughs> Because that was, yeah, that was one of the ones where I was like, ah, shit, that seems... <laughs> yeah, no, that one, that was just more of a, ah, yes, that was... Uh, I mean, I guess it's also... It was good. Is it Pazuzu and Hereditary? Is that the name they use? No, it's... no, it's a uh, Pyman. It's Pyman, another P. Pyman, okay. But yes, it is not they're, the same demon. They're all P's. Um... Yeah, uh, let's see, there's, there is a surprising amount of the <laughs> two start with P. I thought you were like, you're about to be like, Azazel, Behaphomet, and like, if you start, I'll just beat you. <laughs> starting to... What you mean is Puzzazel, Puzzazel, The P's silent in Behaphomet. Yeah, it's all, it's all silent. Yeah, um, but yeah, it so... It has a P in it. <laughs> you're not wrong. Did you find any parts of it then? I, I mean, I'm guessing sort of no, because of what you indicated about the, the crucifix scene. So did you find any parts of it actually shocking or scary? The uh, Scary? N- n- uh, no. Uh, okay. I, I don't think this movie, this movie didn't scare me um, really at all. I think that there were, I, I will say this, there was one bit. There's one very small bit where I, I did flinch a bit. Uh, I don't know if you can, can you, can you guess? Is it the face? It's not the face. Oh, okay. Uh, that... It's where she goes into the attic with the candle and the candle flares and she turns around and oh. then it's the German guy. Oh, oh like the yeah, housekeeper. Yeah. yeah. That, like, cause that was, it was like, ah, it's almost a jump scare. It, you got me. And then I was looking for another jump scare the rest of the time and it never really happened. No, it's not other than that and the face. Yeah. The face, like, yeah, the face. Which now, okay, so that one was sort of. I felt like that was telegraphed to me. Did you. Well, which time? Because that. Now, here's a better question. How many times did you see the face? Uh, at least three. Okay. Because you know it's in there like dozens of times. Yeah. Well, I, I'm fairly certain I probably. Like, cause I at least remember it clearly three times. Okay. Because it, it pops up large a couple times. But a lot of the time, it's like in the back of a scene, like behind a bookshelf or something. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a fairly clever attempt at subliminal messaging in filmmaking um, yeah even though yes when the big one hits you it's very like okay did you really just do that like are, yeah <laughs> that's really the game we're playing i i do think it's a scary film i don't think for the most part i don't think it's a very scary film while you're watching it i think it's a much more like I, i'd say it's like the vivich if you think about it afterwards it's a pretty scary story. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, um, yeah. This is this is definitely it is it is a horrific film, but it doesn't necessarily scare you at any point in time. It's just more the concepts that they're throwing around are scary. Yeah, right. I I think the the only other thing again that was the only thing that almost got me was the flame thing where it's like they're clearly doing a telegraphed. It was almost like ah uh, yeah, don't stand in front of a mirror sort of thing, right? Yeah. I'm like, they're up in the attic. She's got a flame, like what's going to happen. And then it flared and then it's, and then they took it back from me. And I I did, they almost got me with that one. So I will say that one was a very well-designed 
tense sort of moment. Okay. But other than that, no. I, I think sh- the shot, most shocking bit, if we take out the scene with the crucifix, fair. Then, no, I, I wouldn't say. But I, I think, I think a lot of it was that it was just kind of a lot of it was so close to home because it was so real. Because that, it, it, fair, it's yeah. all very Catholic, right? Yeah. Oh, the whole yeah. thing. Like, because obviously, like the bits where they were saying mass were all completely accurate. Like it was, it was all like. I feel like I'm in church, and then all of a sudden, there's some little girl yelling about cunts or something. Yeah. Like, and that was, I think, the most sort of jarring thing to me. Only says the C word once. (laughs) Once, once, once. Yeah, that's fine. But, um, but it was... Gerund, Mike. It was a Gerund. It's a Gerund. It is a Gerund. (laughs) Where are my Gerunds at? Um, but you were saying, uh, no, it, it wasn't necessarily shocking, but yeah, I think that the implications of it, when you think about it are scarier. Um, really, it did make me want to probably read the book more than anything. Okay. Because it, it did feel like this movie was, it left for me something to be desired because it felt the whole lead up was good, right? Okay. I liked the lead up. And, and again, where I felt the movie peaked was that scene where he's kind of, he finally gets into what's really going on and he's starting to see that this is maybe an actual real thing. And he goes to like, you know, the Bishop to get the permission for the exorcism. And that right there, like, I think where the, where the Bishop where he leaves the Bishop kisses, the ring walks away. Yeah. That right there for me is where the movie just stopped being quite as good and having a, a good sort of build up right there. It should have, for me, I felt like it needed to have that punch right there or it needed to build up a little bit more. Right. That's Otherwise, okay, it was fair. a solid. It was a solid buildup. Like, I mean, I, I I wouldn't say it's my favorite, you know, slow burn buildup of all time. Oh, I've seen other movies either, where yeah. where it's definitely better. I mean, like, I mean, Ty West House of the Devil is for me still one of the best slow burns that I've ever seen. Um, I'm so I'm so like so I I think Ty West House of the Devil is an excellent slow burn movie. I actually don't like the movie that much. I, I don't. I, I, I think it is. I think it is. The weakest of the Ty West movies I've seen, despite the pacing being great, I just think the... Well, it's not the movie we're talking about. I just think the plot isn't as good as, like... I think the Innkeeper's plot is... Oh, the Innkeeper... I like the Innkeeper's better, but as far as, like, um, slow burn... Or that, or, but, um, Here Comes the Devil, maybe, is better? Uh, yeah. Um, but, but I do think House of the Devil has... The pacing is amazing. The visuals are amazing. I just think the plot is a little... It's contrived. It's contrived. And to be fair, it's Ty West is doing a 70s cult house movie. Yeah, and that was, and, that was and the they're point. they're all contrived. Yeah, so I'm not faulting him. He absolutely accomplished what he wanted to do. I'm just like... I think I think in my situation... <laughs> I think in my situation, not having seen as many of those cult 70s films, but knowing the uh, tropes, it was better for me. I'll that's say probably, that. That's probably fair. That's probably and, fair. And I'll leave it at that um, one. But I liked the build-up. I liked the characters... Again, I just felt like it suffered from me being more of a narrative guy. It suffered from the non-tense narrative being sort of not present there. And then the exorcism just went so slow compared to what... Like, you know, you see clips of things, and it's like, oh, it feels like it moves faster when you see clips. Yeah, but now, like see, a I, trailer. that's part of why I liked it, because that's much more realistic. Yes, you, you but, are right. Um, but in that sense, I guess you could say the exorcist is in the second half. A little more like, say, the the Vitch, in that while there is much more of a point, I think here, it's almost a 
documentary or a painting of something happening yes. than it is a, a proper narrative. It, it, you know, it is not... But this hasn't been cut down for the good the parts for the movie. difference between The Exorcist and The Witch is that The Witch is heavily reliant upon creating an atmosphere. Not necessarily a story and not necessarily yeah, a character that's study. That's true, yeah. It is almost well, I'm, purely I'm, I'm just talking about The the Exorcist part. The Exorcist yeah, yeah, part. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not counting the first half of the movie when I say that, yeah. Okay, I, okay, I'm just, okay. Yeah. Because the second half of the exorcist, yeah, the exorcism part really is done almost like it's documentary. It is not, you know, it is it is not done like a movie. Well, there's they, no they, quick cuts. There's no cuts to the good bits. Yeah, they, they, there is. They're, they're actually using kind of like a, a strangely enough, and it's almost jarring realistically looking at it because you're right. And I never, I didn't notice this when I watched it, but you've seen it enough times that you would obviously make this connection. But yeah, they use like a far wide angle where yeah. like if this was made now or if it was meant to be a scarier s- scene or, or sure. more tense, it would have been closer. Uh, it would have been more cuts. It would have been a little faster right. pace with the cutting, but this is, we sat back and we put a camera on a tripod and then we recorded it. Yeah. And, and then we and did I it think... from another angle when another scene started. Right. And I think part of that is to keep, the sort of an element of realism yeah. to it. I think part of it is also to keep it still somewhat a character study. Some of the slowest moments in it are the moments where Karis is really, it sort of gives you moments to see Karis during what you would call the boring parts of a real exorcism, right? Clearly still determining if he is doing his part and believing it or doing his part wrote yeah you know well and that was that also was 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 well done i feel like the framing of it was good it's just i feel like again if they were trying you wanted to more of tense, an answer as to exactly where he was at the point at what point yeah 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 I get exactly that. i think that's fair i think but that, no but again, I, I, I like think the framing of how they i did think it. that's what you're looking for is you were looking for it to be and again i'm not you, you, like i said a, 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 I think I know what I'm going to give it again, and uh, and I think I'm clearly accepting it for I, I'm accepting it for what it is a little more, which might be wrong on my part, or you're faulting it for what it isn't, which might be wrong on your part, or maybe neither of us is wrong, and it's a matter of taste. But the fact is, you're expecting it to be a bit more than it was, especially at the end, a proper movie. Yes, and I and I'm accepting that. No, I don't know if I'd even say it's not a proper movie. It's just not made the way generally you would make a movie. Yeah, and, and, and I, I will say this, I guess before kind of we, we wrap up mm-hmm. here and, and give it a final rating, because I know you're not going to change your rating, but I, I'm going to give it a rating. I, I want to give another movie a rating, too, on this. Okay. And, I, and I'm going to say, because it's a movie we talked about before, it's going to be The Exorcist 3. Okay. I'm going to rate both of them for the price of one, basically. Okay. Um, before we do that though, and I give kind of my final thoughts on all this, do you have any other thing? I normally, what I, I generally like to ask what you would, you know, maybe double feature this movie with, but I think maybe the answer is obvious. Maybe Exorcist uh, and Exorcist 3. I would but if, barring that, that but barring if, that. Okay. Let's say you bar me the third one. Um, what would you double feature this with? Okay. So I can think of, a, uh, I can think of like maybe three movies I would do. Right. Um, depending on why i'm double featuring it mm-hmm. uh i could see you doing the exorcist and then say 
maybe the conjuring or maybe the exorcism of emily rose to maintain sort of the i guess those two are supposed to be based on true stories but you know what i mean the the sort of realistic exorcism story obviously emily rose focuses a lot more on the exorcism the conjuring does not as much yeah Um, the conjuring is also more recent and i think a bit more sensationalized but it's still it is very much a lot of the first conjuring movie actually all of them but especially the first is about the characters and it's i think really well done in that front like it really makes you you get to know and care about the family you get to know and care about the warrens and stuff i think that would fit with the way you end up viewing carrots or something so i i would say you could do one of those two uh to kind of keep that theme uh option b would be i would pair it with something like rosemary's baby just to kind of pair movies of the period poltergeist uh because uh let's just do movies people have claimed i think erroneously are the scariest film of all time uh so you pair it with poltergeist and then uh, uh, the third option would be uh, hilariously uh, you know if i really the second option is just a you could do it that way if it was me i would stick with the first or the third the first i would either pair it with something like the conjuring maybe straight up the conjuring and do a you know an exorcist films see how they've morphed see how they've changed see see slightly different ways of doing them or i would actually pair it with the french connection Mm, and i would go yeah and i would go see how uh but but that would be more of a sort of that would be a combination it would accomplish two things on one hand you get to have some academic fun with it which the two words that don't really properly go together but you could go you know see the things Friedkin does differently when he has such a massive genre change, see the things Friedkin does the same, you know, get a feel for Friedkin. I think Friedkin's kind of a genius in a lot of ways. So I think that would be fun. Uh, Plus the second purpose it serves is if you put the French connection as the second movie, then if you do come out of the exorcism feeling, the exorcist feeling a little creeped out, that's not how you feel by the end of the night. The end of the night, you feel good again because you've watched the French connection and seen some kind of high, high profile car chases and violence. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, that's fair. So, yeah, I would either do that to kind of have a, oh, let's see the way this director does different things and also cap the night off with a little fun, or I would compare it with, yeah, another exorcism film, and I, I would say Emily Rose, because I think it has some similarities, uh, The Conjuring, because I think it also has different similarities, or maybe The Right. I've seen The Right. I feel like The Right would be, would be a good pairing for this, but for a completely different reason. Um, I, I'm not, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it feels. Okay. Is, is the reason they're both famous actors playing old priests because that's, uh, okay. I mean, you have, yeah, Von Sydow and, uh, <laughs> and Hopkins. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Just, Hopkins. That's, that's your, that's your actual answer. What would you pair it with if you had to pair it? Oh man. Uh, I was, while you were saying that I, I definitely wouldn't pair it with Rosemary's baby because you can miss me with that. Um, I'm not saying Rosemary's baby is a particularly great film. It's, I, I think it's, I think it's massively overrated. Yeah, like, it's it's okay. It's um, it's, it's uh, I I take the extreme stance that it sucks when realistically it is just okay, and it's probably better than I give it credit Rosemary's for. Rosemary's Baby is a horror film for women. That's why it, you it, don't it you don't dislike it because it sucks. <clears throat> you and I both dislike it for the same reason. We're dudes. It's not. It, it won't scare us. It's not for us. It's, yeah, it's not for. Um, I I was yeah. I watched it entirely too many times, and I just never it never resonated with me at all. And I'm like, this is kind of boring and not like it had moments, and then just whatever. Anyway, that's beside the point. I don't know what I would realistically pair this with. As you mentioned it, it's because it's kind of shot like a documentary. Here here's where I'll say I'll tie it in three ways. Right, it's sort of a documentary. It's very religious themed, and then the third part is that there's a Thai West connection here. Okay, I would watch it with the sacrament. 
So okay, I could just just for for those particular reasons, you have it's a very different yeah. mouthfeel, right? Yeah. Like you you have a lot of similarities, and you see how people are dealing sort of with the religious aspect. You see it from sort of maybe an outside, you see it from inside and outside, right? Yeah. You see these people looking at it as a cult. You see these people looking at it as, oh, we're actually trying to help people with this, right? Yeah. Uh, you kind of get a different mouthfeel. Ty West does the slow burn, the sacrament, not as much as. Uh, either well, no. I think the sacrament's actually a lot slower than you think it is. I think it's just the sacrament. So on my second viewing of the sacrament, I've decided the sacrament is a slow burn. The sacrament just doesn't feel like it because you already know what's going to happen. I yeah, so that's actually the like thing. Yeah, yeah. It, if you if you had never heard of Jonestown, the sacrament would be a very slow movie. Yeah, but because that applies to no one. Like, I, there are some people it applies to. Okay, I, there but, are, but they're the same people who go see the Titanic and are shocked when the ship sinks. Right? Fair, fair, fair. I like that. I don't know, know that I have a, a concrete answer. I'd maybe even want to watch The Exorcist again to kind of get a better sense of what I think of it. But I think because you do have that sort of, the at the very end especially, that sort of documentarian style you have that sort of through line of this is sort of a documentary, but it's from a wildly different perspective on, I guess, a religious topic, right? And while yeah. maybe one is not necessarily, one is an actual demon infecting, you know, someone's mind and soul, the other one, you know, maybe you look at it from a, I guess, the the non-religious atheist or agnostic even perspective of the religion is the thing yeah. that's tainting. And you can see the very vastly different perspectives of a very kind should of similar we, thing. Should we just be, wait, should we be, should we be pairing it with the taking of Deborah Logan? That's a documentary that has extreme religious themes and it's about possession. That, yeah, it could be. Uh, <laughs> and, and just like how Karis says, no, there's no possession. It's just a psychological condition. And Deborah Logan, she's not possessed. She just has Alzheimer's. It's the same movie. Yeah. 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 But Karis is now a, a, a Spanish girl. Played by Sean Connery. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, a Spanish guy, as all, uh, as all Spaniards are, played by Sean Connery. I, I think tonally that wouldn't fit as well, but in terms of subject matter, it actually would be a great double feature. Um, okay, so... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think so maybe the sacrament, me. but hurt, yeah, anyway. Hurt my feelings. I, so I'm going to say that everything that I kind of maybe wanted... Did I rate the third one the first time? No, what would you rate the third one? No, no, finish your sentence. Okay. I'll, I'll do it when you do it. All right, so... I'm going to say, and I'll give you the numbers and I'll give you the reason why. So the Exorcist, I'm bringing it up a full Snake Plissken, two 3.5 Snake Plissken's. Actually, I'm not that offended by that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. And then I'm going to take the Exorcist 3 and it's going to be four Snake Plissken's. Okay. And the reason being is that, one, I guess taken within the context, seeing them out of order, right, I think maybe hurt the third one a little bit more. I might even put it a little higher. Uh, the The... The third one had, I think, better scares. Oh, uh, it's yeah. it had much more tension at the end, and it also had the same slow, methodical character study that you kind of had, but in a different way. Because instead of focusing more on the priest, you're focusing on the detective who is also fair. Yeah, fair. Uh, sort of maybe struggling with his not necessarily his faith in God, but his faith in reality itself. Okay. Or his faith in, yeah. I guess, just, san- you know, just general, you know, I guess, you know, the real world, quote unquote, right? <laughs> the real world. The real world. On MTV. Um, so I, I okay. think that what it, and also the scenes where you did have Karis 
played by Brad Dourif, were just so incessantly creepy that I think that it, it did make the scenes like, yeah, with Reagan, it was it was this little girl that you wanted to get better, right? And yeah. you're like, I, I can see the little girl there. With Dorif, it was just pure, unadulterated, just spine-tingling creepiness. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and with the context now of seeing the first Exorcist, yeah, you kind of get that, I want... I want you to like. You be basically able to draw want Karis to die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you want him again, to be allowed to die. I mean, you know, like exactly. Um, uh, and then you have like the ex, the actual exorcism in that in in three is just much more sensationalized. It's much more Hollywood, right? It's much more entertaining. While it's not as realistic, it's more entertaining. And then at the very end, you get the tension of the personal sort of like you know you get the the priest dying and all that, and you also get the sort of the ending of I have to get home to save my family because this has also been part of a, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's sort of a, a plot kind of, or it's, it's, they're yeah. trying to ruin yeah. me. Right. Or they're trying to ruin my soul or my, my life. And you get that sort of that ending sort of satisfaction of, aha. And it, it still also ends up being kind of bleak in sort of a way because you really, is. you really don't have a good, again, you don't have a great resolution maybe for, Karis and the priest. And... Karis got as good as he's gonna get in it. Yeah, he yeah he, he got as good as he's he gonna should get. be. He should have been dead, and he is. You know. Yeah. I uh, I, I, so I wouldn't. I would put the third movie probably at a four. I would consider a four point five, but but we'll say four. I'll be. I'll, I'll say four. And and I'll, and my reasons for liking it are basically the same as yours. Um, I think it's legitimately scary. It has it has scary jump scares and it has some scary moments that aren't jump scares. And yes, the the scenes where where Brad Dourif is is the Gemini killer in Karis's body are like peak Brad Dourif being peak terrifying Brad Dourif. Like mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. it is at him at some of his best and he is creepy. Um, <laughs> just. Every line in those scenes, those are so. There's there's certain actors who you know they'll play us. They'll do a scene, and no matter how short it is, you'll be like, no. If you want to understand the like the depths to which this actor can get, this is the scene. I think for Brad Dourif, it's that. I think yeah. for just as much as I think for John Goodman, it's uh, the scene in Barton Fink when he runs down the hallway screaming at the FBI agents, "Look upon me! I will show you the life of the mind." It is like there's <laughs> just a like it takes an actor to do really good to be able to play crazy and it not be campy. So that yes, I think frankly for Brad Dourif's scenes alone, if you if the rest of the movie was shit, I'd probably give it three stars, three snake pliskins. But the fact that the rest of the movie isn't, it's four. I'm actually, no, I'll be, I'll be well. The rest of the movie isn't. It's four and a half. The things that, eh, maybe it is four. The things that hold it from a full, from a full five and make the point five on the four questionable for me, right? It is also ridiculous. Mm. Like, okay, so the exorcist is if you're a Catholic or even some variants of Christian or even some variants of Judaism, right? Whatever quite a lot of religions the exorcist is a story that could happen right yes. the exorcist three is not yes <laughs> the devil brings a dead serial killer and puts his soul into a dead priest to punish the priest basically and lets him control his body and he can leave it at night to go on killing sprees and then come back to this priest who's locked in a jail still during the day. Like, if you think about the plot for more than six seconds, 
it's not even you have to like stop the movie and think about it. You realize it during it. It's oh yeah, fucking the, bonkers. It, it is, um, and, and there's a lot of suspension of disbelief you have to have yes, with that movie. And I, no, I'm not saying that's necessarily a flaw. I'm just saying there's a high enough degree of it that I think giving it a full five stars for sure would be a little ridiculous. It is the suspension of disbelief level is real. And high. I think that's why I wouldn't go five either. It, it, yeah. it definitely was a little um, bit of that, but I think it, the reason why I would say maybe a 4.5 is just simply because the character, you know, George C. Scott's detective character. Oh, he's so in good. That is so good. And, I think the fact that he is much more of a logical, like maybe even agnostic character, because I think he's pretty agnostic in that. Like he's, he's not pretty, really religious. Yeah. He, he's um, um, no. He he. I think the fact that these the this killer is doing things that are so ridiculous and supernatural also probably is part of the reason why it's so hard for him to accept until the end. And it makes it more. Oh, that it yes. makes it more believable it for is, his character. It is too ridiculous for him to actually believe it. Yeah, because yeah. if it was if it was a logical thing, he wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been as big of an impact. Yeah, at the end. I, I think that's true. But I I would still say I, I'm going to drop it back to a four again because not only is it ridiculous, <laughs> but also okay. There's some moments. For example, the hospital jump scare. The oh yeah, yeah. The doorway. Even if okay, so not only are we assuming the Gemini killer has all these powers, right? But then also decides to put on a giant cloak for it. Like, eh. it's like some of the moments are almost giallo. In yes. that in the, the level of, it's cinema magic. It's crazy looking scenes. It's like, but is it necessary? You know, but, I think but, that's uh, probably, that's that honestly <laughs> probably is a good description that it does have a lot of that giallo element yeah. to it. Like, um, which, you're, you're and, not wrong. Again, I love it. It's not going to get a lower rating because I love it. But it's also not going to get a five because it's a movie that is in a series that claims some element of realism and has a plot that usually claims some element of realism. And yet it's so ridiculous. So I'll, I'll put it at a very I think it's a very solid four, maybe a little above it, but I'm also say it's solid four. I'm going to still say The Exorcist is a five. I think, yeah, there's some scenes that look a little sillier now. I think there's some scenes that you could question whether they were good ideas like the faces popping up and stuff. I still think it's scary in its way. I still think it's a great character study, and, and I think it's... I'm not going to give it five stars for just being iconic, right? That would be stupid. But I do think when you're iconic and you've earned it, you know, it, it it's... In many ways, it's a trailblazing film. It does a lot of things that a lot of other movies hadn't done. Uh, and I don't just mean the shocking you part, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it was willing to experiment. And, like, the, the, the faces popping up thing, um, hopefully you've seen it at this point. And if you're one of those listeners who's like, no, I skipped to the second half and I'm never watching it. Just tell me what you mean. There are scenes in the movie where this made-up face that's sort of supposed to be the demon's face, maybe. It like, kind of reminds me of, um, like, either uh, in the background of a scene or for, like, a single frame on camera. It kind of reminds you of uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, kind of looks like that. Yeah. And it'll pop up like in the darkness in the corner of the screen for a couple seconds. Like sometimes it's not like it's standing there. We're talking like it's huge and superimposed over it. And it's meant to basically just make the audience uneasy. It is not something the characters can or even would notice. It's theoretically not even something that's there for the it's characters. It's there for you, it's not there the for characters. You. Yeah. yeah. Um, some decisions like that. Yes, they're weird. Yes, maybe they make the movie potentially a little campier. But I think they also show that it's a movie that was willing to try to do some pretty interesting things to take a plot line that is really, again, not that scary watching it. 
No. It's no. much more scary thinking about it happening. And add some unease and horror to watching it. And so I think for for that, for kind of the, the filmmaking chops and so forth, and, and again, the great character study, and really some great acting. Um, yeah, I, I've this, honestly, yeah, the yeah. acting was great in it. I, I can't fault I, I it will, for that at all. I will forgive <clears throat> the, the although, couple complaints I could have, and for me, it's a five. But I don't think on this one we're that far off. I mean, yes, three point five is very far away from five, but three point five. Well, is not, three point five is a, out of is, on a scale you know, of zero, zero to five, five Snake yeah. Pliskins, right? Um, but any Snake Pliskins is obviously good because he's Snake Pliskin. Yeah, but I, I think even though it's a it's a gap. It's uh, three point five is not a dislike to rate. No, no, no. I I, so, I enjoyed it. Um, like I I would not. Unlike The Godfather, I'm not sitting here going, "What is wrong with you?" I, I, I'm like, no, that's. I think that's legitimate. I, I considered that's... this entire time just in leading you on about how much I hated it, and then switching and then around at the very end and rating. I it was actually higher. waiting for you to be doing the opposite. I thought you were leading me on about it being okay, and at the end you were gonna be like, "Cause like I changed my rating slightly," and when you were gonna get to the end, and you're gonna be like, "It's a one." I would have been like I I kind of did that with you. I was trying to do that with you with the Exorcist three. Um, uh, but I mean, you like the Exorcist three anyway. I mean, it, really, yeah, it's just no, a matter of taste. Yeah, no, that's of how we and, and view like, movies. Well, and like like you said, they're realistically they're quite different movies. They're very different movies. Yeah. They're just they have a know, lot of similar threads. They're in the same series, but they're very different movies. And it is funny because I would say the Exorcist. <laughs> I'd say so. I haven't read the book for the third one, right? But I will say. If, for the first movie, the Exorcist movie is a lot more like the Exorcist book than the Exorcist three feels like the Exorcist book, and yet <laughs> the Exorcist three is directed by the author. So I don't know. Maybe it is actually that the first one was missing some beat, though. I think, as I understand it, Blatty and Friedkin really got quite along on. Yeah, it. So, it, it is. That is probably the most interesting thing, having seen both of them now. That Blatty directed the third one. And it, they are so wildly different yeah. because he was, I think he was actually on set for quite a lot of the first one and consulted. Yeah. And, and uh, he and Friedkin got very much along. Yeah, they and, got along. And, and, and he famously the Friedkin the didn't get out. along with many people, but he got yes. along with Blatty. Who also, Blatty was not well known for being someone easy to get along with. So uh, yeah, maybe that's, you know, sometimes you get the right match. Anyway, but, I guess, do, do you have anything else to say about the Exorcist, Exorcist 3, I guess, or even... Even Ty, Ty West, maybe? I don't know. Um, I'm always looking out for more Ty West films. I'm always happy for more Ty West films. Ty, Wolf, Ty West, make me a new horror movie. Make me make me a new make me a new Haunted House movie. There aren't enough Haunted House movies. Make me a new one. That that set aside... Actually, there's, there's one about to come out. Anyway, that's a whole... Not getting into that. There, I like Haunted House movies. If you listened to this and you've only seen the first one, see the third one. I think we tried to avoid spoiling. Too I, much, I'm going but, um, to I'm going to put you, at the beginning that there is a spoiler for the three okay. and to recommend um, watching it you, as well. Yeah, I, I, but I would recommend watching the third one to most people. In fact, I'd be willing to say if you don't think you'd like the first one, but you do like sort of more over the top horror movies, there is nothing wrong with just watching the third one. I won't fault you for that. Mm, so yeah, I, I would yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. And then I would also say uh, the last thing in terms of comments on The Exorcist, and if you're like. Well, what about Dominion and or prequel? Which, by the way, at one point I said that I think both were being made at the same time. The two directors didn't realize it. That's not what happened. One got made. The studio didn't like it. They hired a new director to make the ah. second prequel. They finished it. They released the second one. It did terribly. So then they released the first prequel they had made. Max von Sydow is in both of them. And they both do imply the other prequel does not exist. That's um, phenomenal. The one that was made first in the studio hated, so then they had another made released and it didn't do poorly. When they released the first one, while it still did shitty, 
uh, it actually did do better, showing they should have just went with it. Anyway, that all aside, both of them are bad. And unless you're a horror film, unless you're the kind of completionist who would watch every Halloween movie, actually, even that's too extreme. Unless you're the kind of completionist who would watch every Halloween movie and stop to rewatch them to organize the arcs correctly. So you do the one through <laughs> the one, two, four, five arc and then the one, two, seven, eight, nine arc or whatever. Unless you're that kind of a person, there's no reason to watch either of the prequels. I know it's tempting because Max von Sydow's in them, but it's not that tempting. Just watch one <laughs> and three and then grab yourself a bucket of popcorn and watch something else. There's lots of other good movies out there. <laughs> um, like I said, watch the French Connection. You know, don't you don't need to just don't don't and oh and uh, I didn't mention The Exorcist two at all. Definitely don't do that. Like, go to your dentist, ask him if he's got any you know appointments open to get a root canal with no novocaine. If that that's a much better use of your time than The Exorcist two. That is that's that's my extra comment. I don't want someone to finish this after we've praised three and go. Well, I should watch two. F- fucking. Don't. You'll ruin this whole episode. You'll just be uh, like the the one the one last thing I'll say um, uh, before I go. And this isn't about any of it, but that that's probably a good place to leave off, leave off with the Exorcist. Okay. Patrick and I also have. If you like this conversation we had, we have another show. It's no, called, we don't. We don't release episodes. We don't release episodes, but you can go back and listen to them from like ten years ago. Yeah, they're good. They're 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 okay. Our views have drastically changed since then, so just be warned but they, they are good it's called all downhill you can find us at all downhill show on twitter you can find all of our links there if you want you can follow patrick on twitter at hob bramble as well just shout him out i'll put all this in the show notes cool. uh if you do like the show feel free to share it with you know your grandma who needs some entertainment in that nursing home you stuck her in you piece of garbage so True. you know she needs some entertainment in her life, and we are here to provide it for her. So uh, if you don't have a grandma that's in a nursing home and she's already dead, go rate and review us on iTunes, I guess, because that's the next best thing to sharing it with a loved one. At least in the eyes of you know Tim Apple. The, the algorithm. The algorithm. <laughs> anyway, with that said, we'll see you in the next one. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? It's showtime! Welcome to Fright Night. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. We all go a little mad sometimes. We are going to meet death now! <laughs> the living dead! I would rather take my chances as a supernaturally possessed doll. It's less complicated. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Do you want to die, Sydney? I am Dracula. All music used in this episode is produced by Young Carts and used with license.